Break down every episode of the Apple Plus series Silo every week. I'm Yosli. Lee. I'm here. I'm joined by Spencer. Spencer, are you ready to send a Silo? Uh, other than the fact I'm mortally offended by the apparent lack of elevators in this, uh, you know, fantasy world that we're currently exploring, that we actually have to walk down the Silo, I wasn't sold on that. You got to walk down the Silo. That's a big part of it. It seems like exercise. That's more your thing. So yeah, here we are. We're starting another show, Spencer. I'm excited. We are cross-listing this podcast, the, at least the first one here. On the uh, podcast feeds for a couple of our our podcasts, we're going to put it on the podcast feed for uh, our line of succession podcast, where we covered the succession podcast. A lot of the people who listen to um, the line of succession, where we covered the TV show succession, are wondering what we're doing now. So we're cross-listing this on that podcast feed, so people will know we're covering the show. And also the last show we just did, which was another Apple Plus special, Severance. We are cross-listing on the Severance Lumen Industries radio podcast feed. So a lot of people getting exposure to this podcast. Hope you'll all follow us over to the podcast feed, Breaking Down the Silo. That's where we will house all of our review of the Apple Plus series Silo. We will be going through this, this series week by week. This is episode one, our first one, Freedom Day. Spencer, you're a newbie to this, right? Like you Entirely. haven't read the books. You haven't seen the series. You Do you know anything about it at all? Uh, my complete exposure to this show before I sit down to watch an episode were the ads on other things we were watching on Apple. That's it. I have no existing knowledge whatsoever other than I recognize Tim Robbins in the ads and I found that interesting. Tim Robbins is in it. Uh, okay. So yeah, you know nothing about it. So basically... Silo is an adaptation of, of a book series, a pretty much like a sci-fi kind of post-apocalyptic, futuristic at least book a little series. Dysto- at least a little dystopian from what I'm seeing so far. I believe the first book is called Wool, and that's the first in the, the Silo series, and there's three I, of the books. I get that reference. And I will tell you a little story about how the books got started. So the guy who wrote the books, and I got his name here. Graham Yost. Graham Yost, who wrote the books, was like in, in, in the, yeah, go ahead. Graham Yost did the show. Uh, Hugh Howie did the books. Apparently. Hugh Howie. Okay. Yeah. Hugh Howie. Yeah. Graham Yost did the, uh, the adaptation, which I actually did this. The, I think he did all the scripts for the show and is the showrunner as well. So he's like kind of like the sole owner Bit, of the show. Busy guy. The guy who wrote the books, Hugh Howie. He, was like in the corporate world like you and I, right? Like he had like a day job and he just decided he was going to be a writer and in a sort of fit quit like, but without any sort of path to writing a book. Right. So he needed to pay the bills. So he went back to work at a bookstore while working at the bookstore. He started writing short stories in this world about this post-apocalyptic world. Everybody lives underground in these silos. Right. And he started putting these short stories out. Uh, on online uh, about the world and got feedback and it became a sort of iterative collaborative process. Not unlike like Microsoft releasing a new version of Windows or something. It's kind of how this guy did it. <laughs> and then, he eventually, then he eventually self-published the first book and it ballooned and went from there. So that's kind of the story of how the whole thing got started. But uh, hmm. it, the canon's already written. This isn't a George R. R. Martin situation. The, the book series is written. It's done. So they'll be able to blow through this and cover everything 
that the author intended without like passing the books or anything. Hmm. And they start here in episode one, Freedom Day. So I, I, I will pause there and say I, uh, I did promise some of our fans on social that I would comment that I attended Dragon Con last so week. So you Spencer. did. Wonderful series of pictures sent my way while you were there. I attended Dragon Con, the biggest fantasy convention on the East Coast of the United States. Happens over Labor Day weekend every year in Atlanta. In four different hotels, all connected by sky bridges in downtown Atlanta. It is a massive thing. It was one of the coolest things I've ever been to. And I'll say that lots and lots of really cool discussions about a lot of the stuff that we covered on this podcast on this podcast network, on the Mango Talks Podcast Network. I went to a silo. Uh, panel. Hmm. I went to a severance panel. There was many, there were, there were a couple different house of the dragon things. There were a lot of different Tolkien stuff, as you might imagine, but there's a lot of stuff that we, we covered on the podcast feed. So I will say that uh, it was definitely worth my time. Anybody who's thinking about making the plunge into their first convention. If you go to this one, be prepared. It's a lot to deal with. It's about 65,000 people to send on downtown Atlanta, but I could not recommend it enough for people who love, Pop culture, fantasy, love getting together, partying for a weekend. It was a lot of fun. I, I highly recommend Dragon Con. So 2024, we both going? I think we should, yeah. And I think if we both go in 2024, I will probably do a panel or two hmm. as a, as Mangum Talks probably because I think that's what a lot of folks who have similar businesses like us where they do you know television reviews or movie reviews or they write blogs or stories or whatever very often we'll participate in the panel so i'll probably do that but yeah you should come next year i think we should get a group together but i i'm telling you man it was a lot of fun and it for people who like stuff like this right who are following this podcast because they like silo and they like diving into things maybe some might say way too deep, right? Like really like, Oh my God, I watched, the television. No. I watched the television show. Now I need to listen to four hours of podcast about said television show. This is the con for you. Cause people really mm. do dig into it. And I'll tell you one short, uh, little thing about the pot, uh, about the con that I thought was interesting is there's a lot of anime. People really like this anime stuff that you, you seem to have gotten into over the years. Yeah. Spencer's raising his hand. I thought it was more like, fantasy literature but it's a lot of like comic books and cartoons and stuff that's okay that's all right i don't, I don't have a problem with that it, it, it's just a different medium by which to convey anything manga and anime are incredibly broad and what times of genres or whatever else will appear in them but there was like two little rooms in the fourth floor up in the back corner of the marriott for high fantasy and this is where i lived this is where <laughs> tolkien was this yes. is where we had T Martin. tolkien personally did they have a seance they, they actually did play a couple of his speeches in a, a few of the panels which i thought was cool of him talking about his works tolkien was there and we and the, the, the tolkien stuff is interesting because it's complete like when you have somebody following like I don't know, Martin or Joe Abercrombie, they get up there, they go, okay, we're going to talk about, you know, women representation in Joe Abercrombie's The Blade Itself trilogy, or Blade Itself uh, novel and, and blah, 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 blah. And you go yeah. on the topic and it's great. The people who do Tolkien are typically gray haired and they have a slide deck of about 20 slides that they've worked on all year <laughs> long. And they've got handouts and uh, participation trophies for everybody in the audience. They come prepared, the Tolkien fans do. But I basically lived in the high fantasy, the high fantasy panels there for the last couple of days. People that unpack Tolkien, like, you know, either professionally or at these cons, they're going through it to like the same degree that Tolkien was going through Beowulf. And I just love that. 
I, I, I really, I, I like got back into like the college mode when I went to the Tolkien panels. I was like, okay, all right, we're going to learn about the Rohirrim today and how mm-hmm. the Rohirrim were on the upswing and the Gondorians were on the downswing and like what that means and like the age of men and let's go, I'm walking in. Like, I want to learn this stuff. But I uh, say all that to say, A, I had fun at DragonCon. If anybody's thinking about going, I highly recommend you go. And hopefully I'll see you there next year with Spencer. But I strongly suspect that Silo will have a second season here in the next couple months, six to eight months. And the presence of Silo at these cons will get bigger and bigger because it's a it's a sci-fi book world. Mm-hmm. The show is gaining in popularity. There's a lot of meat on the bone to tell this story. And I think it will continue to sort of spread and get bigger. And I think we'll see a much bigger si- I think there was one Silo panel this year at Dragon Con. I predict a lot more next year because I think I think people are going to like this series. I think you're going to like it. Uh, well, I can say in terms of initial review, I liked it so far. I'm not over the moon about it yet, but I thought it was a very solid start. Uh, it, it, I suspect that this will not capture you like Severance did. Few things but have, I, honestly. But I think it'll fester. That's my that's my prediction. It's a good it's a good start. I mean, I think I, I think the only difficulty the show's going to have in the initial going is just the amount of other things that I have read, watched, or played that seem to overlap with aspects of this dystopian, underground, post-apocalyptic world. I mean, everything from Logan's Run to Fallout have given me some taste of that previously, so the show's working against an established current. But I'll be curious to see what kind of space it makes for itself in that. Because at least so far, it was was well-acted, it has an interesting world that's attached to it, and, you know, the pacing and the writing are there. That Those are the hallmarks of something I'm going to enjoy. I think we'll have a lot of fun bantering around some some ethical questions <laughs> on this, and that gets us to our segment. So we will, we will uh, like all Mangum Talks podcasts, where we're covering television shows. We'll, we'll do a recap. I'll lead the recap. Spencer will chime in. Witty anecdotes, observations. He might disagree with me from time to time. We'll see. If we're lucky, he'll 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 disagree with me a few well, times. G- given your well known preference for despotic dystopian regimes, I, yeah, sure. We'll see whether we fight on that subject. I am a big Thrawn guy over in the Mangum Talk Star Wars <laughs> yes, podcast. Yes, I have, you are. I have declared. I have planted my flag in the ground. You weren't on the last uh, podcast where we reviewed episode three of Ahsoka. I very much continued that I am on the Thrawn <laughs> bandwagon. What? I'm rooting for Thrawn. You know, the, the giant empire flag that's currently behind you gave me some hints as to your change in loyalties over the years. You would have laughed at that podcast. I was doing it from DragonCon. Uh, so I was reviewing episode three of Ahsoka from DragonCon. That's uh, another podcast we do called Mangum Talk Star Wars. We review mm-hmm. all Star Wars, new Star Wars, new live action Star Wars content we review on that podcast. And I, we, were reviewing, we were reviewing episode three of Ahsoka. And I was like, all right, James, Jamie, I'm, I'm going to be quick. I'm, I'm at the con. I got to get out of here. Like I, I got panels to go to, I got stuff going on and we still went an hour <laughs> for a 30 minute do. television show for a 30 minute television what? show. Um, Do, doesn't matter. So yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to like, you think I'm going to like some of the, some of the, the, uh, the regime here. You think, huh? You think I'm going to like the judiciary, some of the, some of the bad guys, huh? Oh yeah. I, I can already see you having signed pictures of Tim Robbins on the wall behind you in a heartbeat. I, it's going to happen. So we'll do the recap and then we'll jump to best line of dialogue. We do that in every, Television show we review, best line of dialogue of the episode, and then we will go to our awards. Let's award Silo Citizen of the Week. That's what we're going to do here on the podcast. Now, Someone is going to get the award for Silo Citizen of the Week. Now, how are we judging that? How are we judging that? However you want, man. Okay. It, so long as it can be justified and an award can be given. Yeah. I mean, I think if you're you're thinking, if you're a truther, if you're, 
you're the silo QAnon person and you're, you're trying to get, get, get to uncover the reptile, reptile, the reptilians who created this whole thing, who live underground and control not, us all. Not betting reptiles so far. Not betting reptiles. The then signs you, for reptiles you, aren't there. You can pick the anarchist or you can be a systems person like myself who roots for Thrawn. As you might imagine, I love the mayor. And uh, yeah, then you can you can say who who helped uphold the pact and uphold the silo this week. You could come at it from that perspective, too. And then we'll end with Spencer's questions of the week, which is something we started on the Severance podcast. And that that was truly him. Spencer just asking questions because that show was not based on any sort of established canon it's just a mm-hmm. show right and i had watched episodes i'd watched season one before you did so i kind of knew everything there was to know about the world and i couldn't really participate in the theory making and crafting here i have not read the books i have watched season one so i think the dynamics can be a little different i think i can participate with you a little bit in some of the longer term questions about what we're seeing and what the mm-hmm. world is because i've only seen episode one of the show and i do not know any spoilers from the book at all season one or just episode one Oh, season one. Sorry, you, you, season you, okay. one. Right. Season so, one. You're, you're, I have seen the entire season, but I, I my understanding is the enti- this entire season does not cover the whole first book. And the book series also does some jumping back in time to like prequel stuff. And there's a, there's Big there's a lot there. of there's a lot of stuff that gets flushed out in the book series. I think that I don't know about. So I think I can participate with you in theory crafting and asking questions at the end of the podcast. Looking forward to that. All right. Anything else you want to say before we jump into the recap? Let's get going, then. Episode one, Freedom Day. We start with a morning show ad for Apple Plus. I'll tell you, we've been on an Apple Plus run. <laughs> we did Ted Lasso. We did Severance. Now we've done Silo. We will not be doing morning show. That is a stay away. Uh, it didn't sell me on it. Didn't sell me on it. Uh, it's not good. It's it, not it good. Was, it was a long ad. Like It was a surprisingly long ad, but I wasn't engaged. Yeah, it's uh, it's a stay away. So the sh- we start with a man in a sheriff's uniform, Penny putting on a badge um, and he puts down some flowers and he unscrews the cover of a vent. We mm-hmm. see him sort of unscrewing the cover of a vent cut to him walking out into this maze of concrete. And I, when I started watching this, I literally, I, I did the, And it's so rare. I do this with the show. I didn't even know the backstory. I hadn't even read the paragraph of the show. I was literally just looking for something. I had no idea why it was called silo. So from my perspective, it was literally a guy walking out into maze of concrete. And it looks like one of those big like hotels where there's like, you know, the atrium in the middle and it's like domed at the top and like, it's like circular where all the rooms are on the outside and you're like looking down in the pit. It kind of looked like that, except it went on forever. Yeah. The kind of hotels that just immediately trigger your fear of heights. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, for sure. I, I oh man, I would be, I'd be struggling with the stairs. I think so, this would not be easy for me in the silo. So I got to ask: When you picked the show, were you actually hoping for something that was more agricultural, and it just sent you in a completely different direction? I think I was. I think when I picked it, I was just starving for a show. I think it was maybe uh, at the gym. You know, I do work out every day, Spencer. I don't know if I've ever noticed that. Told you no, tell me. Before. I don't think it's come up. Yeah, I work out from time to time. So you, I was at the gym. You and climb I was all for a show. 130 levels of the silo or whatever it is. <laughs> I think it might be more than that. Yeah. And I was looking for, just looking for a show and turned it on. And so I had no idea what all this was. And so from my perspective, it was literally just like big maze of concrete, big spiral staircase. Uh, Everything's connected by these big concrete pillars with a pit to God knows what in the middle. Mm -hmm. And we hear this. We do not know why we are here. And we pan down to the floors and we see one of the floors 
is cattle and another is crops as mm-hmm. we're panning down this sort of cross section of the floors. We do not know who built the silo and we get a, sh- uh, a, sh- a sh- stare down the silo, like a shot down the silo. And it is a long way, countless floors. Which is very much in the like a spiral helix kind of thing. I get very much DNA vibes. We see this thing go up and down. I think that's what they're going for with the visual. We do not know why everything outside the silo is as it is sufficiently vague. We see the sheriff walking into a cafeteria-like area. He's greeted as Holston. Uh, he greets the person who works the cafeteria, asking her if she's awake yet. So it must be pretty early in the morning. She says she's about halfway there. The voiceover continues. We do not know when it will be safe to go outside. We only know that day is not this day. Which So there's our ent- entrance to the show. At the beginning, we don't have a context for this because we find out at the end of the episode, this is a maxim. This is almost like a holy statement kind of thing. This is among the most fundamental of the laws of their world kind of thing that we're hearing repeated. So, as we see at the end, I imagine we're going to hear these words repeated as a running motif in the show. The sheriff walks into an office area and through that into an individual office. The sheriff sits down at a desk and there's a notepad there. On one page is written... Double the flowers in front of the mirror, and he tears that page out and puts it into a file. He then folds over a piece of paper, takes his badge off, puts it onto the folded piece of paper. He walks out, greets another middle-aged man, comments that the other is there early. The other middle-aged man is there early. A guy says he couldn't sleep. Damn leg cramps. Do you ever get leg cramps when you're trying to sleep? I do. And those among the things that like most frustratingly interfere with your sleep, just little leg spasms or cramps, top three for me. They, they, you, there's nothing you can do about them. They're just there. Yeah, I, I really don't have those that often. But man, when I have, I, I've hated it. I just do, do feel bad for people who suffer from that. I think it's, it gets worse for a lot of men as they get older. So we got that to yeah. look forward to here in the next about 15, 20 years. <laughs> You're selling me on age, man. I always appreciate that. Uh, the sheriff tells him to get his coffee and meet him in holding three. And this seems to surprise the other guy. We're going to go ahead and start calling him the deputy. We learn later, later his name is Deputy Marnes. Mm-hmm. Played by Will Patton, I believe. Uh, wonderful actor. I've liked him in everything he's ever been in. But he, uh, he does kind of play the same thing in everything. But he's all, always good. He, um, he, he's an actor who does not mind being typecast. He has yeah. a role when he plays it well. We see the sheriff walk up, unlock holding three, walk inside. He goes into a cell, closes it, locks himself inside, throwing the key into the middle of the room. He then looks at a um, like a monitor and touches what looks to be a body laying on the ground on the screen. Yeah, that was the moment. Because we'd seen some of that in the cafeteria, too. And I thought, well, that's some very weird kind of art that they've got marking all the walls. The moment that he was now touching something, I was like, I was like oh, that's a window. Maybe. Sort of. That is being framed as a window looking out into what is the world outside. I think it's as much a window as... It's a telescreen. More, as more that... Remember the, the little... The, the Titanic submersible that exploded? Yes. So that had Where a little, are you going with this? Well, that had a screen on it. That, yes, it, that did. it did. Not, it did not actually have a window. But it had like a monitor where you could sort of a, a see viewfinder. the outside. Right? I think it's the same kind of idea. It, it, it's it, yeah, not it, a window. There is a single camera that is outside the front the surface above the structure more about that later that is transmitting in what the outside world quote unquote looks like. Yeah. I'm glad you, glad you put the quotes there. Um, he immediately says, I want to see her. And the deputy uh, starts protesting right away. And the guy says, the sheriff says I should have done it three years ago or two years ago, but I wouldn't listen. Deputy tells him to stop. Um, come on out of there. Let's talk about this. The sheriff says, I'm sorry, Sam. The deputy says, you're going to say this to me after all we've been through. Holston says, 
Want me to wait until Sandy gets in? The deputy counters that he doesn't want him to say it at all. I don't want you to say it at all. Please, Sheriff, don't say it. Deputy Martins, please, Sheriff, please, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Record scratch. I want to go out. And the Sheriff says, I want to go out. The most final axiomatic words apparently you can offer in this world. It's pretty big, pretty revelatory when somebody says, I want to go out, because uh, some wheels get set in motion that you cannot unset, apparently. Um, big music hits. The deputies has a very emotional reaction to this. The sheriff says, while you get things rolling, I think I'm going to lie down. And then we get the opening sequence. Uh, and two things that we will understand more about later. Uh, this is apparently the anniversary of his, when his wife went out three years before. Is that, is that what we, we hear in this episode? I think he said three years. I have my notes three years, but then we... We only get a flashback. So we get a flashback and then he jumps ahead two years. Yeah. So and then he says he wants to go out. So I, I, I think I, I think I might have written it down wrong at three years. I think it might be two. It's either two or three years, but it's, it's, it's the anniversary of that. The flowers are related to his wife. And this is the same jail cell or holding cell that she was put in after she made her decision back in the world. So all of this is... All of his actions with respect to this morning are heavily steeped in symbolism intentionally. So... To a degree that his deputy is catching up on it to his ultimate horror. And then we go back in time. What did you think of the intro, by the way? We, we, do, oh, we, do, we do intro reviews in the show every now and then. I like the intro. The music sounds a lot like Westworld. A whole lot like Westworld. I'm so place. glad you said that. The music is so freaking Westworld. It's West. It's, it's really music, close. It's music of the Westworld with the art style of a little bit of The Last of Us. Yeah, I, it's. Um, I feel like the big epic sci-fi fantasy shows now all have these similar sort of intros, mm-hmm. and they're all, you know, Wheel of Time has it, you know, the wheel, the pattern. Last of Us has it, the spores, you know, the, the, uh, proliferating. The, Here we have it through the spiral staircase, through the spy, the silo going down in the ground. So, we, yeah. We, which they made look very DNA like, right? That was a, that was a, that was a you know, imagery comparison they were intentionally trying to make us draw, right? Yeah, they did, and then they also had the the people as you know the little what you call it. I don't know what you it was call like it. cells or ants yeah. moving around a bit. Yeah, within the DNA structure. Um, yeah, I think that's. I think if they if you pulled that visual away, I think they'd probably be pleased. I think that's what they were going for. But I overall, I like it. I think it's really good. I think that if this had been the intro for this show eight years ago, I would be flipping my shit. But now we've seen a lot of these similar types intros over time. So I'm, I'm a little less impressed. How about you? Kind of the similar world. I, th- I thought it was well done, but th- this is just so expected now. Again, an issue I will need to work through with respect to the show. So much of this is now just expected that you're and now just looking to see to what ways the show differentiates itself. And that includes with respect to the intro. Cut to a room with some pictures of a sheriff, and we hear a woman's voice. And that, I know her anywhere. That is Karen from The Office. Question for you, Spencer. If you're Jim in season three of The mm-hmm. Office, you, you have the you have the massive, you have the kiss with Pam on casino night. She tells you, no, 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 I'm going to get with Roy. So you have this opportunity. You go to another branch to get away from her. You meet Karen. Do you continue down the Pam path, or do you just marry Karen and be done with it? Ah, uh, are we just basing this on personality or just purely on looks? Uh, however you want to. I don't know. However you would make the decision. I, mean, I, I love Jim and Pam. It wasn't as fun of Jim and Pam in later seasons of The Office, but that was some of the problems I just had with some of the later seasons of The Office, period. Uh, but in terms of just as a you know character I find appealing, and also just an actress I find very good looking, Rashida Jones is a very appealing woman. <laughs> I feel very strongly that Jim should have picked Karen. 
and I will fight that to the death with anybody. Um, Pam gave him an absolutely unnecessary runaround to start that relationship. Completely unreasonable for any guy to have to go through that. Karen was easy. She made it not like not like sexually. She was easy. Like she, she easy, made things they got along easy well, for they connected him. Well, but they didn't. Oh, I they, picked her. They did not have the same perfect one true connection that you know Jim and Pam had. No such thing as a one true connection. I, I'm with you, but the show was going in that direction with respect to the two of them. Yeah, Good God, did they give them hurdles, both before and after they eventually got together, but that, that was the direction the show was headed in. But I'm with you. I liked Jim and Karen. I thought they were a nice couple, and again, I also just like Rashida Jones. Always would have picked her. War, war, definitely soft spot in my heart for Rashida Jones. Love her. Yeah, I, I actually like her as a person. Uh, I, oh, yeah. I she, she's great in interviews. A, yeah, I've been listening to a podcast she does with Bill Gates, which is really good. Um just neither here nor there yeah. but yeah she's a, she's a great great actress but also kind of seems like a cool person uh which role did you like her better as karen in the office or good god why did they just blank on this what's the name for character in parks and rec oh yeah the parks and rec character um i'm gonna look that up because i've completely forgotten i think right i now. liked her i think i liked her Anne. better and i think i like yeah Ann perkins i think i liked her better in the office because i enjoyed like that contrast of Jim is continuing to bang his head against the wall in pursuit of Pam. And mm-hmm. then you have this ultra reasonable person who's willing to just call bullshit on people immediately, like kind of cutting through a lot of the nonsense of the show consistently. She, and she's a and, recurring straight yeah. woman on shows that she's cast in. She, and like, and then, you know, Michael has, you know, Jim go back to the office to try to get like, information on her or whatever she just walks out to the car she's like really jim like this is what you fucking come to like mm. i just kind of like that that type of persona People and i call each other on their shit I also appreciate that i can now forever walk around and be in the like four percent of people who truly wanted jim to end up with karen and did not want jim with pam and i can make that and i can fight that out because I, I know i'm in the vast minority here and i just fight that battle every time i rewatch the office i'm not sure it's honestly that low i've met i've actually met you know people in real life roaming out there in the world that are very preferring of jim and karen i i'm not sure about jim and karen because the way they i i don't know what's best for jim what's best for lee is Karen. <laughs> okay. Matter of personal preference <laughs> again, we come back to. Yeah, because like I, I should I wouldn't have put up with all that shit from Pam. Hell no. But anyway, back to the show. Rashida Jones, she is the sheriff's wife. Her name is what is her name here? Uh Allison. And the sheriff is pouring coffee into mugs that say mine and mine also mine. I feel like this is the Spencer household. I feel like you've got a mine and also mine mugs collecting mug set do you i, I do you got to, to i do totally fucking have those mugs good I'm call sure you too that's a, that's a that's very much a spencer thing so she says she'll take milk i don't know actually not milk she says it's almost eight she seems nervous i think that's just getting some nervous babble here she says she doesn't know why they're doing this they've had two tries already she then gets like a message or an email or something she clicks on it very old looking computer right from jump let's talk about that the, the tech seems old for 2023 it very it seems very old for 2023 it seems old almost in that way of you know you know like you ever seen alien alien or aliens those movies yeah mm-hmm. you, you know how that's in the future but the tech is almost purposefully old looking partly because yes. when the movies originally came out it's that kind of like used future of like star wars and the millennium falcon or yeah, aliens yeah. or aliens mm-hmm. or uh, fallout that we've referenced before with you know the vaults and everything else i like that aesthetic but i'm also figuring that it fits into how long have they actually been down there now so she gets an email or a message or something. She clicks on it. It says reproductive clearance granted. And she gets excited. 
She leans down and says, I can't believe it. Allison, the sheriff's wife, jokes that he's just excited to have sex every day. That's 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 it. So you, you start right away to get that. Good they, for him. They've got a good sort of rapport and, and back and forth. He jokes he jokes that he hopes it takes longer than a month for her to get pregnant so that he can I guess continue to have sex constantly. I guess that's the kind of the joke there. He tells her he loves her no matter what happens though, and she says, Shut up, we're doing this, let's go. So right away she's she's headstrong. We get that from the dialogue. She's headstrong. And it's interesting. So at this point, I'm already setting up, okay, this is some aspect of a post-apocalyptic world just based on the initial narration. And so there's, you know, a cl- there's, there's, there's a clear controlled procedure with respect to reproduction so as to maintain a stable population. But it's interesting how hard they make it, given that to maintain stable population, you need what? What is it, like 2.1 kids on average or whatever else to maintain yeah. regular population mm-hmm. growth? But these guys have tried; have gotten three prior approvals and have still not had not, not had a kid successfully. So, it's it, it's it's interesting to ponder that out: how difficult they make it for these people, or just you know how hard it's been for them, just as due to their own unique circumstances or other circumstances outside of their control, as we see later. But it's already making me ponder the various aspects of the world building of okay. How, how would they maintain a stable population? How would they price that out? And in this case, it seems like. Is it an application? Is it a yeah. lottery? What? It's an application process that gets reviewed and then approved by, I, I believe, the judiciary is my guess. Who we've not met, but we're already getting very insidious vibes about. Sheriff tells her that his, speaking about someone else, office uh, doesn't open for an hour. She says they can get some breakfast. She says, oh, I can talk about baby names, whatever. But I, I'm really just humoring you. If I'm giving birth to this thing, I'm going to call it whatever I want. That's a question for you, Spencer. <laughs> That's a question for you. If you uh, you don't have kids, I don't have kids, but let's mm. say you were going to have one. Would you expect to have some some say in the naming yes. of said child? Yes. Yes. You don't. So you don't <laughs> think this is that funny then? No, I thought it was funny, but I'm also I'd also laugh and then say eh, also bullshit. I'm also helping raise this kid for the next the rest of its life. This is you know I you're, the nine month role you're playing is above and beyond and something I can't can't directly contribute to other than emotional and physical support. However. I'm going to have a role in this, so I should, I should have some input here. Yeah, but it's tough when it's only two people. It's first past the post, right? This is like, this is like, yeah. the, this is like the, the presidential race. This is why race. first past the post voting systems are bullshit. We're seeing yeah, it a, framed out here. It's the presidential race. Like, it doesn't matter if you have 41% of the vote. Like, somebody else has 69 or 59, right? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I would expect to have some say in it, too. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily just go along with this I, logic. The, the, way, the way that I could imagine that I, my girlfriend would do this would be we each do, like, a list of names we approve and then do, like, crossing off of each other's names we don't like. So to eventually Vito. narrow it down that kind of way. Gotcha. Veto power. Then we see something pop onto our screen. This is pregnancy opportunity time days, 364 hours, 23 minutes, 59. So she's in the first minute. What? You got one year. You get one first year. minute for, of the year. And this is her third. The races. That's what we're hearing now. That she's this had is her three third, years previously. And I think I Two established that I love, I think I established how much I love, love Rashida Jones, right? I, I, I think I established it. I could, could really, really us, like her. I needed to preface that because she says she's 37 here. <laughs> 37 going on Brother. 38. Uh, Brother. Rashida Jones is actually, I double checked after like that. Like 50. Like, you, you look, 
Dear, you look great, but I think you're pushing that. She's like, she's yeah, like, she's forty. She's forty-seven. She is, she is much older than this. Uh, didn't, yeah, Again, didn't really this that. element of Dawson casting yeah. is just everywhere in Hollywood. <laughs> I almost just expect that if any actor ever says laugh. their age, there is a ten-year wiggle room around she's it. She's like, I'm almost thirty-eight. I'm like, you are almost fifty. Uh, yeah. As they walk into the dining facility and get their food, people are telling them, "Good luck and congratulations." And she says, "I really hate this part," and I would tell you, I would I, hate this part. I too. would despise. I would this. loathe it. I yeah. Well, yeah, I know you would, but do you? You would first off, you might not do well in this silo because you hate when people are in your shit. You yeah, hate that. You and don't like that at all. That's all everyone is. They got nothing else to do other than be in each other's shit. And apparently, is there like a public bulletin? Does everyone get an email? How many people? That is a good question. How did they find out so quickly that they got approval? It, it, it might have got released uh, publicly somehow. I'm picturing it's like, you know, bar exam results of where they just publish everyone's name. It's like, these people yeah. got approval. It's like everyone And that seems knows. particularly cruel for the people who aren't fertile, right? Like, they, I, I wouldn't necessarily or, blast that out to everybody else. Or just didn't get approval. Yeah. So, like, we, we, we don't know what governs this. But it also raises questions. You, I'm sure, know. But if you had to guess at this point, how many people do you think are in this silo? Yeah, I don't. I, I would not have had an educated guess at this point in the it, show. It, it's hard to say because again, I, I can't use just the number of extras. I do know you do copies, find out, but you do find out season one. It, I was expecting thousands, maybe on the lower end of thousands. Certainly not like you know, like fifty thousand or anything else like that kind of thing. But I'm. Um, I was thinking maybe like 5,000 or whatever else. So it would make sense that that kind of information can just get around a real damn I quick. think I can tell you this because I don't think this is any kind of reveal. It just gets casually thrown in. Like it's not, this isn't a big reveal or anything. It's 10,000 people. It's not, it, that's okay. not a, it's not a big given thing. The, given this thing is like a, over a hundred levels. They even talk about like you had to walk down 70 levels kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, there's, there's room to accommodate that. It makes sense. But again, with just that kind of numbers of people, yeah, news would get around. You'd actually know people. You'd actually be able to, you know, people would be on your shit that they recognized your name, got, got birthing approval. I do much better in this environment than I think you would. I, I, I like these closed-in systems. I like seeing the same people every day. I did really, really well in school. Love school. Like, not well in school, like, on paper, although I did okay. It was like, mm-hmm. at, socially. socially, socially I did well. I, I like that sort of, like... I'm in a closed environment. I see the same people every day. Like I, I like that that sort yeah, of normalcy. Get, I would do well here. I think. Get, give me, get, give me like that tech guy we meet later. I forget his name. Whatever else, but George. the guy that's on, George. That's we like way down in the bowels of the silo. Just got, give me a room on floor like 103 down. Just don't, don't even necessarily need lights. Just give me an isolated little space where I don't have to meet people. I'm good. Yeah, you'd be, you'd be in the what do they call it? The 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 mids. You'd be in the mids. The, the so, mids, sure. <laughs> <laughs> in so many ways. And then this older older lady comes over, stands at the table. Sheriff seems very unhappy with her being there and tells her to not. She's like, I don't mean to intrude. He's like, so don't. She's like, oh, look at you doing the you tell it like it is thing. That's why everybody likes you. And he's like, that. if people like me, I'm not doing my job. Which is a good point from the sheriff, but he does seem overly hostile toward this woman. And we find out it's because he believes that she promises people that they will get pregnant if they follow her advice. That's what he believes she does. So he thinks that she is like committed, actively committing fraud to couples that are in their same situation by going around and saying, Oh, if you just do X, Y, Z, like, I don't know, paint his dick blue or whatever the thing comes up later, (laughs) then, then you'll get pregnant. And, and from the sheriff's perspective, to be fair to him, if I really thought that she was doing that, I wouldn't like her either. Right. 
like him, I would deem it just on the verge of fraud, and it's certainly abusive as shit. Particularly if she's getting paid for those services in some shape or form. Um, now, seeing what we see in this episode, I don't believe that's what she does, but that's what he thinks she does. It, early on, I was getting Mrs. Selvig vibes from this character, but it's more <laughs> she's operating in Mrs. Selvig's cover story, but is just really that, rather than, like, you know, the whole aspect of the character on Severance. She has no Kobol. It's just Selvig. Just Selvig. Just Selvig. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So you, you can get the weirdest damn cookies and tea from her house if you ever go to visit. So he, he she says, Well, you're you're trying to bait me into saying something I'm not allowed to say. And he's like, What? Such as? And then she's like says, I have no desire to be sent out. Thanks, which, Sheriff. And that was the first bit of dialogue we got about being sent out. Which is now explaining things we had just even referenced in our little prologue at the start. She wraps it up by telling Miss Becker that she can come see if she is open to hearing what she has to say. Hey, come come on. Allison, you can come see me if you want to. When she leaves, Allison I kind of ask what she does. They have that conversation. And then we cut to Allison at a doctor. And it looks like he's doing something behind a curtain. Now, he is behind a curtain. Op- on, And it seems like he's operating on her. Like, side. Weird. See, this is a part that confused me. Because, like, um, I, I'm not an anatomy expert. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it would seem mm-hmm, <laughs> that if you're mm-hmm. going to have an implant in a, in a female. To an stop IUD from, of some sort. Stop them from having babies then you should be you should be either inserting or pulling that thing out vaginally it should not be in your thigh yeah that that's an that seems a a necessarily indirect way to get to your target area if you're just going through all of the aspects of the human side to get where you want to go like and when i first saw it i kind of hand waved it and thought oh maybe they're just not trying to like be like overly sexual in the show they didn't want to show her you know in stirrups or something no i don't think that's what it is i i don't i think this is a clue a clue that they're full of shit. Mm-hmm. That, that, that this yeah, thing, I do. That this thing either doesn't do that or does other things beside that, or that this guy is just obviously not going where he needs to be going. I think we're supposed to ask that question. I think we're supposed to look at that and go, why is he taking something out of go her thigh? If it's supposed to stop her from having but, children, because if it, if it really is just a hormonal thing, then why not put it in her fucking arm? You know, but, like it doesn't have to be like in her up on her upper thigh. Like none of that makes sense. What, to me. Where does she ultimately go digging? Cause it looked like she went digging into her, like her side of her hip kind of thing. Yeah, later on. basically it's basically like, where just the fuck is this of, thing? That's, that's what I'm saying. That's, I think that's where we are. I, I think this show, let's go ahead and establish this. I think that this show wants you to call bullshit from time to time. Yeah, I think sh- they, because they want theory crafting. This show at no point wants you to trust the world they're operating in. This show wants you to call bullshit. This show wants to put you in the same mindset as, our, as Rashida Jones' character, that everything is bullshit. Just start labeling in your mind all the ways you're, you're going to experience that. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I don't, I don't think they want you just like kind of going with the flow here. So anyway, she explains to the doctor that this is her, no, not second time. Third time. She's mm-hmm. she's actually almost 38. And I'll tell you this, as someone who's 38 and may want kids, like this is pretty deflating to hear that number. <laughs> Being batted around as if you're a fucking okay. grandfather. It, uh, it, yeah, it, I know. I know. Could, could we reasonably believe, based on how this world would operate, that there's a cutoff age? That after a certain point, you just can't even send in an application anymore? Gotta be 40, right? In so many, I feel like so many of these universes, they just have the magical cutoff age. Luckily, we're above Logan's run level of ages here. But yeah, 40 seems to be the age of where, eh, we're not going to invest the resources into you having kids. Sorry, med- modern medical science that means nothing to you. And I wonder, and this is where I thought you were going with this. I wonder if that is just a, if it, I imagine they have this cutoff 
but I wonder if it's just for women or if the men have a cutoff too. Like, obviously, men can have children much older uh, yeah. than, it, than women it, can. But like, there is a point when men get like, you know, as a uh, on average, substantially less fertile. Like, if the guy's oh, yeah. sixty, are you gonna are you gonna still yeah. gonna prove if he's sixty? Like, what's the rules there? Hey, sper- sperm count and sperm motility go down with age. We, it's not the same, you know, complete cutoff that can be for women that are you know postmenopausal, but it's also a factor there. However, at this point, I don't necessarily know the gender dynamic, the gender equality dynamics of this world to give you an opinion there. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I guess it does. Yeah, you're. Yeah, fertility for men does good unless you're Al Pacino, right? Like he what, didn't he just well, have a kid at yeah. eighty six or something? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. How how irresponsible. Anyway, he says they are taking the capsule out, and he does pull something up into her view, and it's a piece of metal with blood around it. And he tells her she's now free to make a baby. It's a big fucking piece of metal, too. This is not a little thing. This is not you know like you know normal IUD level sizes. This thing is what. Two inches across or whatever else, and yeah, solid I just chunk didn't, of like I didn't you understand drop this where on the ground, it, could be. it would stay there. Yeah, but like, think about the female anatomy. Yes. Where would this thing be that would prevent her from having a baby if it was just this lodge of metal? Like, none of it makes sense. I'm also raising questions too that you know, given the size of that thing and blood covered that it is, did he? If we're to agree later that they're full of shit with their cover story, that, oh, yeah, totally, that they removed the thing at the time, there was just something else there kind of thing. Uh, yeah, they were full of shit. Yes. This guy just went digging in the side of her leg and left a massive gap and scar there just for the sake of a cover story. Seems that way, yeah. So cut the kids. So, yeah, cuts the kids played in the street. They walk into, uh, they being Allison and Holston, walk into their apartment, and he's complaining about people congratulating him. She's like, impregnate me now, and then... Um, she points out that at some point this is going to start feeling like work. Um, and the that character speaking for Lee says, great. What what did he say? Best work or something like that. Best work ever. Yeah. I don't know. I have heard from a lot of couples, uh, who have had children that in the lead up to having, it does become like, sort of like, Oh my God, we got to do that. Like, but, and it's not like one or the other as being particularly rude to each other. Like Mm -hmm. they're in the same boat together and they're both like, fuck it. Hey, I'm just tired. You know, like (laughs) you hear that a lot from couples in the, in the lead up to to actually conceiving and they run the gamut here. Right. Cause this is the start of that process. And they do get to a point where they both, seem kind of tired with the process later on at a certain point they're not as worried about the little man in the boat anymore it just becomes something they need to get done yep it's another check on the list of things for that day so cut to um so cut to them uh we see the counter at 342 days and allison is talking to someone who is talking to her about another friend of hers this is a co-worker she's got in the it department and this is where we get the story about the guy uh dying his penis blue to try to get his wife pregnant apparently she did get pregnant but correlation we, we all maintain skepticism right right spencer I, I don't know the rules of this world yet i don't know what degree this is fantasy maybe it's operating off orc terms in warhammer 40k of where you paint something a different color it does have a different effect i don't know yet we'll find out okay i so when i said when i said the show wants you to call bullshit i'm not sure they want you to go quite that far <laughs> blue things <laughs> god bullshit blue things more fertile red things faster i get it i understand now thank you Sure. So they have a great laugh about that. And in comes Bernard. Dump, dump, da dump, dump, da dump, da da dump. I didn't get the Emperor's March in my version. Clearly, there are different editions of the show. So Bernard says, I see you posted an article on our BBS about a 
restoring deleted files, you do know you need to get my approval for any IT-related content before it goes wide. She's like, well, yeah, I just thought, you know, it might cut down on service calls if people can, you know, get their own deleted files from their own machines. Makes perfect sense, right? Her logic does make sense. And he goes, I took it down. I've no doubt your intentions were good, but our reporting structure is there for a reason. She says, got it, got it. He walks away. She calls him a fucking asshole behind his back. I'm sure he heard that. She was super loud. And then uh, back at the dinner table, Holston is asking her if she knew she was breaking the rules by posting the article. And she's coy about it to start with, but he drags it out of her. She did know she was breaking the rules. But her response to this, like any good six-year-old, is, but there are too many rules, you see. <laughs> you know, Lee, I got to say, I'm so happy to see your style of management represented on the screen. Just, you and Bernard, they seem to vibe perfectly for how, for how, how employees should be managed. <laughs> <laughs> what a shot across the bow. No, absolutely not. If people who follow 100%. people who follow the podcast know that's that's not that's not how I roll. Matter of fact, it's uh I would say it um he left a little on the table there, right? Because like Bernard, I think is that I think we can safely say this without any sort of um spoiler. He's the head of the IT department. Yes, which is we're seeing is a incredible like could we created an ally there? Couldn't he have like ex- explained the reason a little bit more persuasively to create an ally among one of his workers? Oh no, hundred percent. The man does not give a shit. The man is removed <laughs> from the situation. He just doesn't give a fuck. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, th- this is a guy that does not give a shit, which is, in some ways, it gives me vibes. This guy is more powerful yeah, than his name initially. It, it, two things: one, the fact it's Tim Robbins. A point. Point number two: his just personality type suggests to me this guy is more powerful than like an IT position normally would be. Like, this guy is actually involved in running this place, isn't he? Because they, your logic is they wouldn't have cast a Tim Robbins if he a, wasn't. They wouldn't have cast Tim well. Robbins, yes. The, you're going to cast... You, you do not have the budget necessary to cast this guy as a one-off kind of role. And point number two, his general just detachment from the circumstance, either A, he's just a shit manager, or B, he's just too important practically to care about your individual qualms. So then she goes on this little rant, and this starts to broach a subject that gets uncomfortable for them. She says, we blame the rebels for erasing our history, right? So why can't we ask questions about that stuff? And if losing our history was so bad, then why can't some goons from judiciary send you down to the mines if you happen to have a relic from the before times? A lot of stuff there for for the lore, right? Like first off, we learn about rebels Rebels. and some sort of rebellion and erasing the history. And then that apparently judiciary is the one that imposes penalties on people for breaking the pact, breaking the rules. Mm -hmm. And you can't have, quote, relics from the before times. Uh, So you who have watched the show previously, are there space whales associated with these rebels? Because that's my main exposure to rebels lately. Yeah. Well, as established on Mangum Talk Star Wars, not everybody wants to hear about the previous content. (laughs) Uh, I got shouted down by our co-host, Jamie, who's like, I don't want to hear anything about previous shows. I only want to know what's happening in this show. Mm, Okay. Um, And he says, Allison, and she says, really, you're going to use your sheriff voice with me. And I'd like to pause here for a second and say that a lot of what I think we see happen between these two characters for the rest of the episode, they explain right here. Mm -hmm. Because the second, like, he's like, I'm your husband, right? I'm your husband first and foremost. But he's not, though, kind of, because as soon as she because as soon as she broaches something that could be running up against him professionally, he does shift into his professional demeanor for a moment. And like 
if I'm her, it does. I, I have no doubt that Holston loves her. That that is abundantly clear, right? Mm-hmm. He, he really but, does care about her. But yeah. I think he's not very good at separating his sheriff, you can't break the rules guy when he comes home with his wife. And by the way, my dad was in law enforcement. A lot of people in law enforcement have this problem. Sure, they they have a god complex for a lot of different reasons. Some of them good. When they're when they're out doing their job, and when they come home, they have a real hard time separating that. And it seems like this guy struggles with that. Hundred percent. I think he is definitely having difficulty wearing multiple hats, and isn't always comfortable with which one he's got on at a given moment. And I think more than anything, as he talks about later about you know I wasn't listening, I regret that. This is the moment he's probably thinking back about for three years afterwards about this is where it went wrong, this is where it could have gone differently. Because she's just looking to talk. She's not like and he shuts it down. She, he's, she's not looking to lead a violent revolt right now. She might be here in a minute. She's just looking to, isn't this interesting kind of thing, let's have a little discussion about what I just saw in the news today kind of conversation. And he immediately seals the door on it. And things go wrong from there. When she's doing this stuff later with George and everything, like I am on her side on this because like I don't feel, I, I did not get anything from the character of Holston that made me think that she could confide that level of sensitive information in him without him reverting to his sheriff role. So that's what he does here. He says, look, the pact is the only history we have. If a bunch of rule breakers want to see what it's like above ground, they somehow managed to open that door. We are done. So he goes right to a 12, right? He goes right to, she's, she's just questioning. Why can't we have like a thing from 150 years ago? And he's like, you mean you tell me you want to open the door? And she's like, Whoa, buddy. It's a, it's, it's a straight line. Apparently his mind from why are the rules the way they are to you want all of us to die by overthrowing the system. That alone should tell you that this guy being apparently the preeminent law enforcement officer of this world, that this is an uncompromising system that they're in. If that's just the immediate mindset, he jumps with his wife. Cut to some energetic upbeat music, and we see the hustle and bustle of the silo, people going through the street, moving, little commerce going on. Then we see the counter go down to 157, 22 hours and 14 minutes. Cut to Allison. Halfway there. Um, sighing and scoffing. She walks out of the bathroom. She says, I got my period. I know, I know. We still have time. Holston just looks around. Um, yeah, a tough conversation for a couple when, you, you know, the couple's hoping that they'd have a baby, and then she has to deliver the news that she got the period. I'm, I'm glad we got to see that little bit. Um, from them because I think that we need to know that what this couple has put through unnecessarily mm-hmm. is hard for them. It's painful, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. Like every every month when they, quote, fail, it's fucking painful. To, to a degree of multiples off anything that we're seeing in our world of where they actually have a literal finite period, not limited by resources or age yeah. or practicality or anything else. Time. This is the only, This is the last 157 days they will ever have together in terms of making this work. Something that, at least at this moment, both of them want to happen. That, that is doubling down on the stress of the situation. Cuts Deputy Marnes, who is with the mayor. This lady is, I, I can go ahead and tell you, this lady's the mayor. Um, he it asked her. very close with the deputy, which is interesting. Oh, does she now? Yeah. Uh, Some holding hands and some little glances on just a lot of time just seemingly right next to each other. I'm I'm curious of their home arrangement and whether it's public. He asked her what she's so afraid of. They are walking and talking. She says she's afraid of some drunken pyromaniac adolescent with a cherry bomb is going to set off a fire, sets off a Sam Steed. Like, so she's 
basically they're they're concerns. They're, <laughs> they're planning for a festival and she's concerned about crowd control. Marin says that as long as he's been wearing the, or she's been wearing the sash and they've been wearing the badges, Freedom Day has come and gone without a hitch and that's a long damn time. So there we go. Love the writing because we're getting little hints about the world, right? The mayor's been the mayor for a long time. He's not, been the deputy for a long time. Should I believe then that these are not elected positions? This is a, you know, it's interesting. You're asking benign questions, and I think I can answer they're, it. They're I, loaded? I, I, no, they're not loaded, I don't think. I, I, but I, I feel weird telling you stuff you don't know, mm-hmm. but I don't think this is a problem. The mayor is elected, yes. Interesting. Okay. Well, with, well, I was iffy on that subject of whether they maintain what I'm assuming is basically just a fiction associated with that, but sure, okay. The sheriff says all deputies will be on patrol, and they'll have fire teams on every 10th level. She looks at the screen. She says it's getting harder with every passing month to see the screen. Sheriff says it's been a long time between, quote, cleanings, remember that phrase, Mm -hmm. and it means things are going well, right? Because people aren't, quote, cleaning. Sheriff, or the mayor doesn't look super convinced, and she says, well, no one wants a cleaning, but people do need to see what it's like out there. Mm. So she's thinking about the populace. She's thinking about what motivates the people, very much like an elected official might. Cut to Allison walking around. The same lady stops her ask her if she's pregnant. Allison says, no, 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 but uh, I won't be needing your assistance. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. She says, I just want to talk to you in private for a question. What, one thing I just, uh, you, you kind of just highlighted to me that I hadn't thought about during the episode, but the fact that he refers to officers being on duty as fire teams is very militaristic way of referring to that for what is essentially supposed to be crowd control. Wait a second. So, I don't, I think that might be two different things. He says, the, sh- the sheriff, he says, all deputies will be on patrol and will have fire teams on every 10th level. I actually think that might be the fire department. Okay. Normally when I hear fire teams, I know, like, you know, soldiers with guns getting ready to shoot people kind of thing. Does because it- she specifically in the in the her comment before says she was worried about a fire and people like yeah. a stampede. Gotcha. So they, they mean fire teams in the literal sense. I think, I think so. that's, I think, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's really despotic if you're like, okay. Police are on duty, and also, yeah, trained mow. snipers covering the crowd will be available. Yeah, and you know, like there's sketchy things going on in this world. Obviously, we get some of that this episode, but I don't, I, I don't think just having like snipers posted everywhere is, is the mo of this group right now. <laughs> we'll kill, we'll so, kill ten people each holiday. Keeps it, a, keep, make sure it's not a boring affair. Oh, like, uh, like the lottery. We can have the lottery here in the yeah, silo. Straight up, yeah. That's actually what the prequel is called: silo colon lottery. <laughs> You know, crops growing, you got to have the silo to put them in. Makes sense. <laughs> you can hear the pitch now. Hey, you like the silo? You like lottery? We're going to mix it. <laughs> Cut to Allison in the lady's apartment. Um, and the lady is complaining. This lady is named, oh gosh, what is her name? Becker? We, I think it is. No, no. She's Allison Becker. The, oh, lady's, right, right, right. the lady's name is something else. We get it later. I'll, I'll, I'll drop the name later when I get my notes. But anyway, the lady's complaining that. She doesn't like the phrase Freedom Day. Put down the Rebellion Day would be more accurate. We all have that friend. We all have that friend who says stuff like that. Uh, you know, it's like it's not it's not Independence Day because we America wasn't actually wasn't actually made independent on that day. It was actually four days before when Benjamin Franklin got up from a chair and tweaked his ankle and then actually da 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 da. Like and, and, and also in fairness, the Americans were paying less in taxes than Bermuda and most of the rest of the British colonies, so it should really be called Americans just don't like to pay reasonable taxes for their own defense day. Uh, and also, the name of the character is Hildebrand, apparently. That's her last name. Her yeah, first, uh, she has her first Gloria. name. Gloria. Gloria, there it is. Yep. 
So anyways, Allison kind of cuts her off and says, you want to ask me a question? Which, by the way, the other day I was talking to my boss and um, she did that. Like I was, I was saying something. She's like, hey, anyway, you had a question for me? There is no faster way to knock me down a peg than doing that to me. Like if I am in, if I am in the middle of a jag to somebody and they mm-hmm. go, wait a second, you you just wanted to, we had another thing we were going to do. Let's get let's get back to the point, please. I feel two feet tall. Like I, <laughs> and it doesn't have to be my boss. It could just be somebody in casual conversation doing this to me. So she's really like, in my opinion, kind of cutting at her. Right? She's still mm-hmm. kind of a little bit adversarial with her, and then she. Mm-hmm. Uh, lady puts the water on. She turns the water faucet on. And Allison's like, what, what are you doing that for? She's what? Because so they don't hear. She's who? And he goes, well, those who listen. Who, who, who's who got listeners? And Alice, Allison immediately asks judicial. I think that's important. Again, it's the first everything thing that comes up. Everything keeps coming back to, to, to judicial. I don't think we've literally met judicial so far in the show, based on how everybody's referring to them in very hushed tones. So have you ever wondered what was on the servers they erased? They erased, I think we can extrapolate to mean... The rebels. The rebels. Maybe. Right? Sure. Yeah, the rebels. Or at least... Or, yeah, or that got erased during that period. The, the rebels the books, are officially blamed for the fact there are no records. In the books they burned. If it was even the rebels who did it. Allison seems uncomfortable with this line of logic. The lady says, she didn't ask you... I didn't ask you here on a whim. I heard that you also wonder. Mm. And... My question to you, Spencer, I will jump segments, is if this lady, Gloria, knows that Allison wonders about these things, who else has casual knowledge Every that, she, that Allison, you know, occasionally will just, you know, uh, undermine the pact with her random questions or line of logic? Everyone. Everyone. There are no secrets in this world, nor has Allison made much of an effort to hide them previously. She has this established reputation, and that factors very much into, everything. Sad, sadly, everything, including her reproductive options that are available in the future. But I think you I think you brought me here to discuss a recap, so I think we should get back to that right now. Ugh, I quit. I, you're going to have to do the recap now. I have, no conf- I have no confidence anymore. She just wonders about why they live underground. What actually happened out there? Allison tries to leave. The lady says, one last thing. Do you really think... You're the type of person they mm-hmm. want having children. So she's connected the two things for us already. She said, I've already heard that you're the type of person who asks these questions, right? That you wonder. And oh, by the way, do you think you're the type of person that they want having children? I feel like everybody's got that question that'll fester. This is that question that'll yes. fester. It's like, you know, if you want to speed run someone being broke down to brass tacks and being receptive to whatever the fuck you're going to say next, this is your little cheat code when it comes to Allison. Allison clearly, clearly commits a rebellious act toward the end of this, right? That puts her own life in danger. It, it, it effect ends her marriage. And <laughs> until death do us part, maybe. Well, I mean, it, she, at least she's not going to be able to be around the guy anymore, right? Sure. And she, you, I think it's important to try to get at her motivations because without this knowledge of how painful this process has been for her now on her third time. You don't understand the resulting anger that like ends up ebbing into this action that she takes. Like it, it makes sense to me because we saw the pain. She comes out of the the bathroom. She goes, I'm not, you know, I'm not pregnant. I've, I got my period. And like, they they have this deflating thing. You have to wonder how many times she's, I guess what? 24 <laughs> the last two times and six now. So she's had this conversation over 30 times with, with her husband mm-hmm. having to, having to convey the news that she's not pregnant when she finds out that she never had a shot 
that they were lying to her, then you get you understand the spark of anger that leads to that later action, right? Yeah, I think yeah. it's really, really, really well done, and, and just a one episode arc. And the the insidious deceptions associated with it that they could have just rejected her application, but that would have that would have involved too much in the way of you know deniability issues. Instead, they gave her hope. They gave her the the uh, the possibility that her dreams would be accomplished rather than just deferred at every available opportunity. That just makes it burn all the more. See now, every time I go on a jag, I'm just terrified you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, but we were here for a recap. We, 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 I thought I thought we were doing a recap. Well, on that point, we had a recap a second ago, but now you're talking about other things. Maybe we should return to it. <laughs> Can we get to the recap, please? Um, so, cut to Allison talking to Holston, right? And Holston is saying three times, or Allison is saying to Holston, "Look, we've done this now. This is our third time without success." She just said it, and now it's starting to feel intentional. This is what she's she's conveying to Holston. Holston says, now she is officially descended from eccentric oddball to completely fucking crazy. I should send the psych team down to play glory of it. And like this, Allison has a strong negative reaction to this. And I actually think it's something he shouldn't joke about. It's in the same category as the last conversation. He's responding to her voicing some concerns and discomfort associated with their it, particular situation. In their with marriage his cop as two people with his cop hat on. Yes. And like, I think that that's probably something that a lot of people who are married to law enforcement are very powerful people worry yes. about. It's like, I can't tell my governor fucking husband about so-and-so because he might have the SBI look into it, right? Like, sure. this is a concern that she has. She has a real negative reaction to him saying this. I don't think he should have joked about it, right? Allison says that Gloria and her husband couldn't have had a baby. They couldn't have a baby. And she wanted to know why. Holston reiterates that she had her birth control removed. Allison, you had your birth control removed. We have the same chances of anybody else who has clearance. And Allison says, eh, okay, but doesn't look convinced. And it's interesting. Based on where we jump into this conversation, it seems like she at least substantially accurately recounted what her conversation with Glory to her husband. That is the last time she's going to do that in this episode for any of her other adventures. That, that yeah. is the last moment of when she was just attempting to be open and honest with her husband, and he responded in the same way as he has previously. And she doesn't even attempt it until after she's already condemned hereafter. Yeah, I agree with you. Cut to Allison at work. Her friend comes up and says that our buddy George submitted another ticket. So George is a known entity around the IT department. Guess whose turn it is to take it. So I guess it's Allison. Cut to her talking to Holston. And she's explaining George to Holston. She says he's a programmer in the mids. This is a, a in-world term that we get, which is, I guess, people on lower levels maybe don't have as much money. Mm-hmm. With a repair stall in the market. Holston asks why she has to go. Why does it have to be you? And she says, well, everybody's taken off for Freedom Day. You're going to be working. I'm on call. I figure uh, I might as well just do it. Right. And um, question practically. Uh, given that they are a, you know, a seemingly relatively important people through him being the sheriff in the world, she says later that she had to walk down like 70 flights of stairs to get down to where this guy is. Is that going from their house or from the office? Like, how far removed are we supposed to be believe, you know, people can be in, from a um, residential standpoint? I don't think we know yet. Uh, I think that the implication here is that it's a it's a good long walk, right? It's going to take Tyrant. time. And it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a commitment of time. It, and it's a level of commitment that tells me it's intentional. This is a world that could have had elevators in some shape or form. Maybe it did at one time, and they don't work anymore. But I'm more being led to believe that they're intentionally trying to make this hard to go between levels, to go that distance between levels. 
Yeah, maybe. I mean, it, it, you're you're stuck on the elevator thing. I honestly watched this entire first season and didn't really question the elevator thing. That's how much of a fucking sheep I am on these shows. Like, if they <laughs> they give me a rule, I just follow the rule. Like, I, I don't know. There's no elevators. I don't I'm know. already going full Snowpiercer here, man. There are reasons for the separation. <laughs> yeah. So she says that they're gonna miss their evenings entertainment. So she jumps his bone there. Jumps his bones there in the office. I gotta say about this scene. It's a funny scene. I know. I know why they threw it in because this is a otherwise extremely heavy show, and if they have sure. a brief moment for levity. levity, they give it. But I'll say this: this lady's thirty-eight. This guy's yeah. presumably that around that age. Sure, they can have sex quietly. They they can. This is this is something they, are, they <laughs> they've done this before. They this can make this work. They, this is not somebody who just got started, right? They know how to have sex quietly. She's choosing not to have she, sex quietly. She's showing that off makes to the it, world. That makes it a little bit more funny. <laughs> that I, she's this isn't an accident. She's made a she's made a decision. I know his coworkers are out there. I'm gonna let them know. I, it's one of those things where I'm with the coworkers there. If I'm hearing those kind of sounds in there, I'm laughing my ass off. Just like just like Jesus Christ. Okay, this is our day now. I really, really struggle. And like this post COVID, everybody works from home and we all like want to have icebreakers at meetings and get to know each other really well. And like the work and the personal blends and all of this stuff. I struggle with all this because like I am a person who loves the work life separation, like big fan. Love it. Let's have work and then let's have life. I don't want to blend the two. If I had a coworker doing this, I would be, I'd be so fucking put off. (laughs) This would not be charming to me in the least. I would be really frustrated by this. This is like the moment that defines what kind of relationship you have with your coworker of like, this is the moment of when you decide whether they're a coworker or a friend in terms of how you respond to this after it has now happened. Yeah. I mean, if he's the boss, right? So I guess there's not much to do, but if I was the boss, Oh my gosh, you talk about putting the hammer down, putting the foot down guys. What are we doing here? What are we fucking frat party? We got in the office. Like you can't be hooking up with this again. She could, she could management style on screen. She could have stayed quiet. She chose not to as my, my head. (laughs) I heard some noises from him too. The two of them were getting into it. Cut to the other folks in the sheriff's office. They can absolutely hear them. Marnes tries to quiet them down, but he also gives a look like he finds it funny. Um, I think that these folks are a little bit more like you uh, than me. They all seem to be getting a kick out of it as opposed to being offended by it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then cut to her taking off down the stairs. Uh, Oh, no, she does give him this line. If I don't get pregnant from that, I never will. Um, As if the veracity like matters somehow to the sperm. I feel like this is working into the trope of good people have good sex. We're seeing how close they are and how they are heroes because they're enjoying each other's company and they're in love. So to make it more tragic later, what's going to happen? Yeah, yeah. It couldn't have been like mechanical boring sex because then like we're not going to be as emotionally invested so they have to give us 100 percent hot vigorous sex midday it, on his office you know in his office when they've been doing this every day for 200 days so there far, is but. a story reason requiring <laughs> them to have hot sex <laughs> i think so oh man uh so uh cut to her taking off down the stairs so she's traveling having to walk away right to your point going down the silo to check on this ticket from George cut to her watching a play that seems to be for children. This is something I've seen a lot of shows do, especially in sci-fi and fantasy. They will have a character watch a play in world to show us what the history of that world cares about. Yes. 
right? And, and, and what is passed on and taught to other generations, particularly to children. This is a this is an effective trope that you see in a lot of these shows too. What is the cultural landscape that we're operating in if this is, you know, the presentation of history? So we see a couple, like, primary pieces of information get conveyed here. One is there were rebels, and the rebels got defeated. And they are portrayed as being comically evil. And the second thing is that what the rebels were trying to do is open the door to the silo, which would let all the poison into the silo. So this is a... It's on poison. This is a belief that they all have, that there is poison, I guess, in the air outside the silo. This is what they believe. Which is interesting because part of the initial speech is like, we don't know why we're here. We don't know why we can't go outside kind of thing. We, we, We don't know when it is, but it's not today. But there is a kind of vague basis associated to what is the outside threat. And it is, as you said, poisony, like gas, poisony gas kind of related. And I think a big part of it is the bodies that they see out there from people who have gone out to clean. Right? Drops quick. Yeah, yeah, they see that, right? Despite so, suits, which is interesting. So she, Allison watches. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we will get into that in later it, uh, later this episode and then later episodes. That's a level of radiation poisoning that's like, you know, straight up reactor in Chernobyl won't kill you that fast. But yeah, we'll, we'll talk about we that one. We made that point in the panel, the Dragon Con panel uh, that we were talking about Silo. It's like, if it's radiation, then what they're di- they're displaying levels of radiation that like are like inside the nuclear reactor, <laughs> like like not not inside the building, inside the reactor core. Yeah, like, is like at, what it would have to be it's, it's like to kill you, somebody you, that fast. The, the neutrons are passing through you, kind of shit, in the middle of the reactor. It's like yeah, straight up, Chernobyl killed fair people. We did we did a wonderful podcast on that subject of it. Fantastic. It still took Remember, weeks Talks to TV. kill them, kind of thing. Mangum Talks TV. You can check that that podcast out where we covered the. The Chernobyl series. Yeah, I think, but I think we are supposed to take all that into account when we're looking at all yes. the evidence, right? Yeah, so, well, we're, uh, Spencer theories, you and I are going to debate what is actually being shown there. So Allison just watches, smiling. Cut to Freedom Day festivities. We see some people playing music, some kids sliding down a slide, and Holston is patrolling. Then we see Allison, who's in a different area of the silo, but they are celebrating too, cooking some street food. She's watching on. She comes up on house 17 or apartment 17 she knocks on the door a guy answers this is george he says allison becker i've been looking forward to meeting you for a long time she's bewildered by this he apologizes for getting her down there on freedom day she gives this whole spiel about how her husband's working but blah 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 and he he kind of gets a little too personal he's like oh yeah i know your husband is the sheriff and i figured you'd be free today so that's kind of why i put this in we get some weird vibes from him in terms of like you know what kind of relationship he was trying to establish with her Oh, you think so? I, it was imminent. It was imminently and immediately personal in a way. Well, hey, so statements that are going to surprise you. The fact he's trying to be so personal so quick put me off. Yeah, not a shocker there. So you think if she would have bit on that and been like, like gotten personal with him really quickly, that he would have gone down that route with her? You think? Yes, very okay. much so. Yes, I was getting vibes that he was trying to be chummy and all the implications of that term. He says he read her post on how to retrieve deleted files, and he figured it wouldn't stay up long, so he printed it, which I put in parentheses smart thinking until they made the point that printing must have costed him a fortune. Hey, fair Limited point. resources. Fair point. If we're talking that they're literally printing on paper, which I'm doubting. I'm guessing it's actually some kind of fiber weave from the crops they're actually making. But if it's actually, even if it's that, that would be really expensive given what resources they have. Yeah, it, it, there's there's no making more, right? They don't have a fucking you know paper I, mill down there. If it's literally paper, that that is priceless. You could not afford to do that. They do not have trees down here that I would imagine. 
He's guessing this is some kind of like, hey, maybe it's hemp paper. Maybe they've got a hell of a nice crop going with that. Maybe. He says it's worth every credit. So we learn printing is expensive. And then he says, but I need to see you in person. Needed to see in person. So I put in a repair request hoping I'd get you. He then yeah. says that they'd previously Again. sent... Oh, yeah. He, he does make her feel special right away, doesn't he? Yeah. He then says they'd previously sent everybody but you, so we had to keep asking. She's like, well, why didn't you just ask her, man? He goes, I didn't want to arouse suspicion. She's like, from who? And he says, whoever wrote the law on relics. Mm. She questions why he'd be worried about the judiciary. And he says, isn't everyone? Which I think is a telling thing, right? We already have had, she's done it one time in her conversation with Gloria, immediately jumped to, oh, well, if somebody's being sketchy, it's got to be the judiciary. He does it here where he's like, isn't everybody fucking worried about the judiciary? So they clearly have a reputation. 100%. But it's interesting the different levels of power associated with how they previously discussed it. Of where she discussed the judiciary as, in the, like, she didn't really view them as a threat. She just viewed them as kind of like an enforcement arm, an issue with respect to that. Almost more of an abstract concern. He's expressing it more of, oh, no, they'll grab me tomorrow if this gets out. And I feel like in some ways that reflects just the level of different power in society the two of them have, or at least... The ivory tower she's operating in compared to the mids, the mids in which she resides. He then pulls up a hard drive. It looks like an external hard drive and says that a guy came in about a year ago and said he found it under the carpet in his closet. He fired it up and it looked like it was empty, but he tried what she posted and he was able to check the memory. My question here, I'd stop him right away and I'd say, if you fired it up and it looked empty... Why did you hold on to it? And when you saw my instructions about how to back up deleted files, why did you assume there were backup deleted files on this thing? Why would you go back to it? it you that, that doesn't check out. Here? It doesn't check out to me. It's like if I just got, if some random guy just showed up and was like, hey, IT guy, here's this thing I found. And you look at it and you're like, oh, this is a really old empty hard drive. I wouldn't then put it away and go, man, if one day I get specific instructions about how to back up files, like I'm going to immediately grab this thing. It's like yeah. something in that thing had to arouse suspicion in him for him to hold on to it and then to go through that exercise once she posted the instructions. And I also call bullshit that her instructions was something he'd never seen before or he, he didn't know how to do. Th- this guy's looking for a partner in crime. Th- this does not track. This This is very much... I've thought about you and maybe see a bit of a kindred spirit. I want to get you involved in this too. So you, my immediate response to this conversation I started was, well, thank you for giving me 30% of the story. Let's go, let's, let's get a little bit more detail from there about why I'm here. Yeah. She says, well, it could be old family recipes in kind of joking manner. And he says, well, it must be pretty old. He checked the serial number. It's before it's pre rebellion. It's before Yavin to B B Y. To, to which, now the story's, you know, out part of the reason he kept this, to which, you know, a proper citizen's response would be, I'm out, you enjoy your crime, I'm leaving. The mere fact he possesses this is apparently a crime. In this it world. is, yes, it is. But she also, in her, the dialogue, gives us a little bit of a time frame. She says, you think this drive is over 140 years old? There you go. Rebellion happened 140 years ago. Yes. She says that that's impossible. All the drives were destroyed in the rebellion. He's like, yeah, but it could, it could be a data entry area. Could so, be, could be, it could, so it could be it could be not that old or not. And her wheels start spinning. So she gets to work and she tells him she needs some silence. And you're right. He did pick somebody while, if you are correct, that he was putting romantic feelers out there. I think he picked the wrong person for that. Yes. But if he was putting, if his primary, soul. his primary concern was getting a partner in crime, it seems like he picked the right person because you're right. There is a moment in that conversation where Holston would have been like, I'm out. 
Yes. She continues to say, oh, well, let me look into it. Let me check this thing. And she's probably breaking the law by even doing that. Oh, yeah. Congratulations, my dear. Let's discuss what conspiracy is. An active discussion in America right now. You're part of it. Welcome. You've, you've, You've engaged in acts and furtherance. It's... She should not be here. And I think she even... She or she should. Like, depending on your point of view, from a or purely le- from a purely legal standpoint, as her attorney stepping into this role, I would advise you not to be in this room right now. Yeah, but as her moral guidepost, as her coach through this fucking bullshit world, uh, I think that there's an argument to be made that she should be doing this. It's I, very important that she do this. Only one of us is possibly getting her killed by the end of this episode. I'll let her audience decide who's giving her the better advice. She, she gets herself killed. Cut to the sheriff and the mayor walking to a podium. <laughs> we get the theme of the show now. Allison is still, or did she get herself killed? I don't know. We'll, Different we'll, question. We will discuss later. We get the, th- I want to point this out though, is that as the mayor is walking to the podium, we get the theme of the show. I did this during the severance podcast. I'm going to do it during this one too. Yeah. I think that they insert the theme of the show at specific points to show you it's to put a bow on a scene that we are supposed to take larger meaning from. Yes. It's, it, this, it, we put this here and you extrapolate away, folks. That's basically what they're saying when they stick the theme in. Mm-hmm. So Allison is still working and he starts cleaning up a bit. And she continues to work and ask if he knows what the 18 means. Um, so this is the and, and <laughs> as she continues to look at the outside of the hard drive. So what we're getting mm-hmm. now is a cut between the sheriff and the mayor who and the mayor is descending up to a podium. And then Allison, who is still with George and is asking questions about this hard drive. So she's trying yeah. to figure out what the 18 means on this outside of the hard drive. Am I wrong in thinking this guy's just being Socratic right now? That he's totally accessed this thing before? He just wants her to discover it so he can have somebody to talk about it with. I think he's discovered it before. And I think he wants her to discover it so she'll feel some ownership in it. So she'll 100%. be willing to go farther in this crime, this conspiracy. This guy's in the same industry she is. I refuse to believe he didn't notice the little library term. Well, let's let's think about our tropes. Is the the bureaucrat who works the IT desk job at the top level with the mayor and the IT department head better at cracking into computers in an illegal way than the guy in the mids who is surrounded by nothing but fucking computers? For, like from a troop standpoint, yes, dear Christ. <laughs> come on. We, they're giving the, us all the clues here. The, this guy broke it already before the article was printed. Now that he's just seen the article printed, he wants to show it to somebody else that actually would be interested in this. So it cuts to the mayor walking up to the podium and she's cheered. She starts with um, six minutes, six seconds past six o'clock on this day, 140 years ago. Okay. Should we talk about on the nose kind of things that whenever a show does literally six, 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 six I'm like, okay, so you don't want me to trust these people. Gotcha. No. Understood. Hammer, hammer. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't trust anybody who, who claims to understand a, an event that happened 140 years ago down to the second. That's bullshit right yeah. on the surface right away. So she says, that is the moment we regained our freedom. Yay! We all gathered on the anniversary to remember the terror of the rebellion. If they had succeeded, if they had opened the door to the outside world, none of us would be here now. You want to talk so they about take state- this as fact. Hey, 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 I'm actually with her. I believe that statement is literally true. Just maybe not in the way that she means. Do you think that she means it in a sort of double entendre way? Have because you- I don't. I think she's... I- I think she's just given us the same speech it's given every year. And it's, it's based, all they're really referencing here. She's really referencing. I like that we can read more into it, but all she's really referencing here is it would kill us all. 
she's a true believer. At least that's all I'm getting so far. At least she's reading very established speech. I think this is either something that's going to be referenced again later with an ironic sense, or this is a wink and a nudge to the audience in terms of how, how this line can be read diff- different ways. They didn't succeed. Thank the founders, but they did manage. Um, and she goes on and we, but we cut they, to now. They we destroyed cut to all of our history. They took it all away. Again, but she kind of, the narrative. Out, right. And we cut to George and he says, and then, Back to her. They destroyed our computer drives. They shredded our files and burned all the books in our library. Cut to her. Now, Allison recovering some of the files. And we see a file. I got some of the file names here. Okay. <clears throat> Silo-blueprint. And it's near two other files that we get to see the names of. One is, or three different files that we get mm-hmm. to see the names of. One is FS underscore repair. Another is S-I-P-O-S-R-E-B-O-O-T. So SIP-OSREBOOT. And then the final one is S-I-L underscore utilities. This is like, this is not just a random hard drive. I would say no. This is like, this was the original architect's personal backup files, the level of information they've now gained access to. Mayor cuts, cuts back to the mayor. She goes, but they were stopped on... Our heroic forebears won the day. Cut to Allison and George looking at the screen. Looks like an actual blueprint of the silo. And she's like, I am not looking at this. This is bad. This is a relic. We can get sent out to clean for this. Okay. Uh, God, what's her name? Allison. Allison. Allison, you already knew it was a crime. You knew it was a crime the moment he even suggested it was more than 140 years. You are it's already so real full. now. It's like, it's just the fact that now she's. How is this not real already? I get you've now reached this progression, but is this that much of a bigger change from just the mere fact that it is a relic? Uh, straw, camel spack, something. Sure. I don't know. Um, yeah, she, but I, she, she was clearly blinded does. by curiosity, and now it's you know she straight up found the smoking gun. But it really, but it, but it isn't too far for her, right? She's just getting uncomfortable in the moment, right? Because she yes. says um, she's going to leave, right? And he says, are you going to tell your husband? And she's like, just get rid of it. Again, I feel like this is purposely playing with the idea of an affair that she doesn't tell her husband about it later. And his first thought is after they, you know, do this kind of thing is to ask whether she's going to tell her husband. I know this. Yeah, you're going to keep a secret from your husband. Yeah. Again, it's because he's the sheriff, but I think they're purposely playing with just the concept of hiding things from a loved one and kind of operating on both sides of the line when it comes to the relationship he has with this guy. Okay, well, something we'll file away as we that we think about George. Is that maybe this is his mo? Maybe George is dead by the end of the episode. Apparently, so maybe not. It does seem to be a map of the silo. Maybe at least that's what we see in a way that they also don't know about too. Because as we see George exploring a little bit later, there's a side tunnel that just goes off somewhere way down underground too. And their great victory should be celebrated with cheers. Should uh, be celebrated with horns. Uh, and I'm out. I'm out of this universe. If Vuvuzelas are the means by which they celebrate in this universe, I don't want to be part of it. Where do they get all those? Who makes them? Uh, anyway. Uh, same place they make also the just worst possible thing you can include in, have in an enclosed, contained, below-ground setting. Those, you know, lamps that go flying up in the air by means of fire. One of my favorite uh, fantasy podcaster YouTubers personality is named uh, In Deep Geek. Is this guy lives in the UK. He does mm-hmm. fantastic deep dives into fantasy literature. He One series he has on his channel is that he likes to do the economy of different worlds. Yeah. So he does like the economy of Hobbiton, the economy of sure. Middle Earth, the economy of what... Please, fucking Christ, do the economy of the silo. I really <laughs> want to see that. That's like I, almost more interesting than the plot. 
Hey, whoever's got the corner on the on the horn and lamp market is making a killing on an annual basis. And it should be remembered in silence. And the whole silo goes silent, it seems, and they release some floating lamps. Good visual. Mm-hmm. And we get a song. You want to hear the, the lyrics of the song? Please. Uh, would, you sing, the... would you sing them for us? I will not, but I will say them <laughs> for it, too. Hear the sound that rings. It's calling us to our duty. Hear the voices sing so loud and proud. Praise freedom's beauty. See um, the rain's light. Rising lights. Rising light. Long night rise up. So what I took. kind of cut off like there's more lyrics around afterwards. What I took from this is that like this is a nationalistic holiday for the society. Mm -hmm. However, they, they blend a little like what we see with modern religion into it. They blend the sort of like, we're going to send the, sing the hymns now and we're going to do the candle, the lighting of the candle in this sort of ceremonial way. And there is a, there's a process to it and an established cadence to it that you get in a lot of organized religion. This is a hymn. Like this is a, it's like, you know, we're doing hymns at church mixed with reciting the national anthem. That, that, that is the element and feel we're getting from this moment. Sound goes silent around her and she watches the lanterns. So, cut to Holston. About to get down. But she stops him. She says she's exhausted from the climb. Blame sitting on her ass all day for not being physically fit. You should probably go to the gym. Yeah, I I, I do that. I don't know if I mentioned that to you, Spencer. I do go to the gym every day. Um, Uh, But do you walk up and down 70 flights of whatever whatever we call stairs or levels in this particular world? You know, and like, they are going to, I think, descending 70 or 100 flights of stairs, they are clearly playing up as this, like, big thing. Mm -hmm. I hope that they at some point do define flights a little bit differently because like if you were to go to the gym and do like a Stairmaster like exercise, if you were doing cardio, like Mm -hmm. it wouldn't be out of the realm for a normal person to do like a hundred flights of stairs on a Stairmaster. So like eh, it's kind of hard for me. Like I don't think it, it would be, it would be easier for me mentally if they'd say it was 400 flights of stairs. I think they're trying to go for a certain, it does not work in this universe, but I think they're trying to go for some element of realism that that would just be a ridiculous structure to have built in any reasonable, rational world. It all, it's two things I'm supposed to get in here. A, they live pretty sedentary lives because they're under freaking ground and there's, you know, only so many options to go out and explore or whatever else. B, they can do a third. B, they may also encourage not to go around and travel too much. Again, my elevator theory going on. And C, she's also full of shit right now. She's presenting a cover story because she's just not in the mood because her world has been rocked by new new information and revelations. And also is- D, speaking for less, you know, fit, physically fit people, climbing the Empire State Building on a daily basis would be tiring shit. Yeah, but it, that but that's not it's not out of the realm of something somebody could do without being too tired. So sure. maybe maybe the writing's actually better than I was giving it credit for because maybe when she says seventy levels is like. Yeah, she could still have sex, right? But she's just choosing not to, and that's the point of the and, whole scene. And I think that's the main thing here. And I think to even, I think, I think our sheriff, dense as he is, gets to that. Gets oh, he asks her. He says, is, "Are you seventy levels tired? Or are you are you ti- basically tired of this trying mm-hmm. to make a baby?" And she kind of punts it and just goes, "Well, this well, can't be fun for you anymore either." Deflection. And he doesn't really answer that question. He says it's not about fun. He wants a baby, and. This is, where, this is where they get to that point that they, they foreshadow earlier. Is that like they get there as a couple? It's like 200 days into this thing. They're both just tired of the of doing it. 
And then she says, so did I. And he, he lets did linger a little bit. Um, she holds his hand and he looks over at her and we cut that scene. It's interesting, too. The moment she says those words, I, if I were him, were like, okay, we're done then. I, I, not, say, I have thought we're not, done, too. Not, not, not between like the two of them, but we're, not, we're done having kids. You're not into this anymore. Exactly. Um, but it seems like they keep trying based on what, what, what we'll be seeing in the next few scenes. Well, uh, he keeps he keeps pushing the issue. Uh, um, <laughs> he keeps pushing. Scott's her at work. She's asked how it went with George. Couldn't help him. Coworker posits that George is just lonely. That, that might be yeah, true. Lonely. Spencer, yeah, Spencer yeah. has the same theory. She says, uh, you know, I don't feel great. I got I to gotta leave for the day. So cut to her walking down the silo again. We get the theme. She shows up at Gloria's this time. Surprised me a little bit. I thought she was going to George. She does later. She will later. But I thought she was in this. Hey, look at her climbing up and down the Empire State Building of Stairs. Maybe she was physically fit enough for it. Yeah, you, you can do 70 stories, Rashida Jones. Come on. Uh, Gloria invites her in. I, I live says, in a one-story house for a reason, sir. She says, I hoped you'd be back. Why wouldn't they want us to have children? So you're right. It festered right in Allison's yes. mind. She goes right to, why wouldn't they let us have children? Wh- Gloria turns the water on. Which, this is the fun thing, too. Both the sheriff and Allison could be right about this woman. People who are con artists are really good at the festering question. But it doesn't mean they're always full of shit. Cut to Allison picking at her food. Holston's trying to make small talk and ask her if Bernard is behaving himself. Bernard, IT director that we saw, chop down her little well, post about backing up files. So that's well, that's well, Tim Robbins. As discussed, Lee's personal hero. She says, I didn't see him. Holston feels the tension. She says she's going to take tomorrow off. Go to the market. He immediately asks what she needs. He's going to white knight this situation, go get whatever she needs. She's like, that's not the point. The point is I want to shop to get away, to get away from you. all of this. <laughs> Yeah, you and and this you know tension about the and, and the, constant the, sort the stress of, of the world. Yes. Well, and this this constant feeling of uh, failure that we're, yeah. we're kind of living in right now with trying to have this child. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's Allison walking through the silo, and boom, she's back with George. She looks at him, steel in her eyes, and says, "I want to see everything." Mm-hmm. So, um, if you if you took this actually, you're wrong. She's saying I want to see every single file in the whole thing that you got. Again, she has no sexual association with this at all. Maybe George had some intents there, whatever else, but it's not what we see of their relationship. But again, I think there's intentionally playing with that when it comes to it. There's yeah. there's an element of indiscretion of if you read it on paper and you didn't see how Rashida Jones acted it, yes. you probably would read more into it than, than is there. But she she does such a great job in like giving you every verbal cue that that's not what she's there for. She is, however, willing to, let's just go break the law. like Because they, I want to see everything that's on this hard drive. They are maintaining an illicit relationship. It's just not romantic. Cut to Holston at a table thinking. Back to Allison, who's sitting with George. She says her brain is fried. So she's been looking at this for a long time. Mm-hmm. But she says they shouldn't tell anybody about it. <laughs> no shit. He says, needless to say, uh, she she agrees, but uh, ask her, uh, he agrees, but ask her when she can come back. She says she doesn't know. I like her glasses look here. Did you like the glasses look? She clearly puts on the glasses as if she's like um, farsighted because she's mm-hmm. having to read the computer screen, which mm-hmm. is another like indication she's probably not 38 years old. But I, I think the glasses <laughs> look is pretty good. Yep, 100%. 100%. She asked George about one of the files. He says he doesn't know. She says it's the last one they'll look at today. It's... Jane Carmody Cleaning is the title of the file. Which I, in terms of like, you know, the files I would save for last, that one would be pretty low down the list. It's like that one seems relatively innocuous or irrelevant from the title. Until you learn what cleaning is. 
right? In, in, in their universe, yes. Cleaning, their, cleaning you know, they, would have extra connotations. And it's actually, you can actually kind of flip it and say, if you are taking their definition of cleaning, which is you have to go outside, right? Yes. You're, in essence, executed. That'd be the first one I'd fucking watch. Uh, they, so it's, yeah, I don't know. And again, the, <laughs> actually, there's no, another way of looking at it. She may be avoiding that one because she just assumes it's a snuff film. Yeah, she doesn't want to watch somebody die, right? Yeah. So yeah. anyway, he he opens it and we get an immediate flash on the screen and it looks like in her rise it's a little bit grainy. Life. It's not it's not easy to see, but it looks like a horizon. And I swear to you, Spencer Dagummit, I see grass. I saw grass. I, I saw, saw grass. I saw grass. I saw a living tree. I saw birds flying in the sky. This was a world full of life. In a way that in seemingly their minds is not purely historical. They both gasp. Alice is, Allison is stunned. We hear birds squawking from the video. Cut to Allison walking back up the stairs. She's in her uh, own mind. Are we to believe, and we could save this for questions if you prefer, but are we to believe that if they're saying this hard drive's 140 plus years old and the data that's on it is 140 plus years old, that that video is 140 plus years old? Yeah. So... She's taking that as meaning that the universe is that way up there now. Yep, she is. And, that and I think is she's a making bit of an assumption, though. I think fast. she's making that assumption because there has been no appreciable change to the outside state from that 140 years ago to now. It's not like 50 years ago they descended because there was a nuclear bomb that went off above ground. It's like sure. whatever was going on then is going on now in her mind. This is what they've always told us. The fact that that the universe was fine 140 years ago is a fundamental flaw, even if it doesn't literally mean the outside looks that way now. But you're right. It is more of a leap than they give credence to in the show. They don't, they don't, nobody ever talks to that and goes, well, Allison, that is a 140 year old video. Like it never gets discussed, but I think that's her, her logic is, well, whatever was the case then is still the case. Now we've been underground doing the same thing at the same time. If you wanted to be, you know, challenging with respect to reviews, you could say, well, Maybe the universe has decayed far more since. It was still dangerous up there, but now it's just getting worse and worse by the day. I guess her argument would be, when it looks like that, why? What, how was it? Why dangerous? would we descend? If there's why would bur- we ever descended, right? If, if, if there wasn't some level of bullshit going it, on. It's, it's in the category of where it doesn't address every one of her concerns. She's making an assumption, but it is a fundamental shot into the hull of the assumptions underlying her universe as is. And so now everything's upended. She's in her own mind and she bumps into someone who tells her to keep to the right. Just you, you probably knew this just by inference, but like keep to the right is very important in the silo. Like it's one of the most important rules of the pact. It's not the most important rule of the pact. Holston gets to that later, but one of the most important ones is keep to the fucking right because you can fall off the goddamn stairwell. If if we wanted further proof that with all the American accents, this is an American silo. The fact that we're keeping to the right should tell us that right away. Yeah, it's an American silo for sure. Yeah, we are. We are in fucking Idaho here. Um, (laughs) Sure, yes. She leans against the brick wall. Uh, Oh, anyway, uh, she gets in and Holston is waiting for her. She leans against the wall, embraces herself. And it felt like to me that she was bracing herself for the conversation that she wanted to have with him. Yep. And then quickly deduced she couldn't. Yep. He says it's late. She says, I lost track. He asked her if she went on a shopping spree, sprint all the credits. She says, I wish next time. But she's being very short with him. She gets into the shower. Holston looks confused. Holston says he got a message from the doctor. The only time he can see them is at 11 the next day. But uh, you never know. We technically have a few hours still. So she cuts that right off Mm -hmm. and says it's fine. Um, She's going to sleep in a little. So she'll meet him there. He knows something is up. He says, hey, you okay? And she says, no, but I will be. Spencer, 
if you ask your partner, how you doing? And she says, no, I'm not doing good, but I will be. I'm not, we don't sleep they, on that line. I am not stopping the conversation nope. there. I will be, nope. I will be a pain in the ass until I get an answer about what that was about. No one's, no one responds. This dumbbell way. just lets her go. Oh, okay. Well, I guess she'll figure well, it out. And he falls asleep. Also, just practically speaking with a partner, if someone responds to your question that way, do you interpret that as meaning I don't want a further conversation? No. And she, and she, and she all but tells him that later that she wanted to tell him this night, but felt like she couldn't. And, and this might be why she felt like she couldn't because she gives him this huge entryway to more conversation and he doesn't take it. Now, how someone responds with, with uh, there's so, there, there is something going on, but I don't want to talk about it, is you ask how they're doing and they say, fine. It's like, that's the level of, we're going to follow up on this later, but I get you do not want to talk about this anymore right now. What she said was, okay, maybe we won't sleep tonight until we can talk about this kind of so category. So to give him a little bit, like to back up Holston a little bit, because I do think I beat up on Holston on this podcast. He deserves it. But he's not all bad. Like, so we know the pregnancy counter started at 8 a.m. Because the she she gave us a timestamp for when she got that email and the clock started. And we they, see that this clock. Seven hours or something left, She's right? got seven hours to go. So, so, it's, so it's like one, 1 a.m. in the morning. It's 1 in the morning. Exactly. So like the fact that he's a little irked. He, and we already saw that Holston gets up early for his sheriff job. Like 6 o'clock in the morning. 5, 6 in that range. So I could see him being a little lurk that she's back at one o'clock in the morning with no explanation about why she was out that long. Uh, you're confusing me, man. Don't, doesn't everybody stay up till three a.m. and then get up at six? I'm talking to the wrong. I'm talking to the audience now because Spencer keeps zero. Uh, like, I'm, conf- Spencer I'm keeps, confused. Spencer keeps hours like he lives in the silo. Like he doesn't know where the sun <laughs> actually goes up and goes down. Like no, he might be no, up no. at three, might be up at five, might be sleeping until one p.m. No, Who knows? The, but the, for the, this guy, I can see how he's like, "What the fuck? Like you, you get home at one and you give me nothing." I will accept that my way of living is vaguely vampiric. However, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I, no, I'll just leave it there. It's vaguely vampiric. Yeah, it, it, you're you're on another level with this stuff. You you don't have um, you know what you need? Mm. You need one of those uh, just one thing. You know those lamps that people have? They're supposed to like the, oh, the shot, sun lamps. The sun lamps. You need <laughs> that just to you can so you can get regular with your sleeping. <laughs> the, thing, that the, the, the thing, the, the things they use in the Arctic North to, to ward off depression from lack of vitamin D exposure. Yeah, that's the thing you need. Yeah, what they what they have in like northern Alaska. I, I'm um, pretty sure I might combust if we do that, man. I don't, I don't think we want to risk it. Uh, you know the cool thing though about being your friend, you have to settle into it. It takes a while, <laughs> but once you once you settle into this as your friend, it is kind of freeing. Spencer will he you send him a text and like. Because he keeps these strange hours, he's probably not going to respond to you right away. But whenever he does respond to you, he has no expectation that you're going to exp- respond right away either. So it's kind of freeing. Like yeah, if I get a text a- from you at two in the morning, I don't have to like worry about checking my phone. I'm like, ah, no. that's just when he got to it. That's like an email, basically. And yeah. I'll check my inbox later. There is a friendship contract that I've sent you a message. I will double check to see whether you responded in five to six hours. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, cuts to the doctor's office. Holston is there alone. She didn't show. Holston walks walks in Allison's office. She's not there. He asks where she is. The coworker says she sent a note saying that she wasn't feeling well. And it's interesting. The coworker walks off. It's interesting. If anyone in this universe had a walkie talkie or a connection to a PA system, I would assume it'd be the sheriff. And he doesn't. Everything is by physical delivery and message. It seems like for a lot of the stuff so far. 
Uh, other than the IT connections, whatever else, they're heavily restricted and monitored and that kind of shit. Yeah, whatever email type thing they sent about the pregnancy, you would assume that can be replicated person to person. I don't know. Peer to peer. That's what they say in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. Holston um, then walks into his apartment. The water is running. And so she's had the water running while she's done this. Mm-hmm. And she's sitting at a table. She says, we need to talk. Uh, Sit. She she learned this from Gloria, right? In terms oh, yeah. of the water running through. For sure. You know, yeah. Well, and she was doing the procedure on herself. I think she wanted to make sure that they didn't know what she was doing. Um, well, we're going to talk about that procedure here in a minute. So we ask her if she's okay. And she's like, just sit, just sit. So he does. Now, here's the thing. They are living in a post-apocalyptic world with a super sketchy government. And they have this strange thing of birth control. And she might be sparking a rebellion. A lot going on here. Yes. yes in yes, the yes. real world, if my partner's like, sit, sit, I need you to sit. One or two things has happened. Yes. Somebody died and she's trying to tell me. Mm-hmm. Or she's breaking up with me. Like Th- Those I, are the only two. If I was, if I was him, before he realizes she's bleeding, I would assume she's getting a divorce. It, 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 this is the realm of, if, if you walk into a room and someone says, I need you to sit before we sit. talk. Sit, it, yeah. It, it, I, I will add a third in terms of possibilities. It's either it's something bad. Someone died. Something horrible happened. They're breaking up with you. Or they're willfully being an asshole and subverting your expectations because your mind's going to immediately go to one of those and they're playing on that. I never That's accept it. The, I never accept the sit too. Like if people are like, now I got some serious thing. I, I, I tell people, I'm like, I can handle whatever it is standing up. Like I, yeah. I get, I get kind of punchy about it. But anyway, he does sit. You she do says, actually. I've seen you do that. Yeah. Go I, on. I don't like when people tell me to sit. Anyway, she says, I was going to talk to you last night, but I wasn't sure you were going to be able to hear mm-hmm. what I had to say. You don't always listen, honey. Here's the thing. Uh, oh, so you're breaking up with me. Got you. Thank you for moving <laughs> along. But here's my question is if she doesn't do this whole thing and like say she wants to go outside and go clean, do whatever. If she was just staying in that silo for another 20 years, I'm not sure these two were going to make it. Nope. Nope. Because nope. she's, nope. she's, 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 she, has she doesn't, she him. doesn't feel comfortable telling him how she's feeling, what she's really doing. She's keeping secrets yeah. from him. She's establishing that he doesn't listen to her. Like these, these two are not in a great place. I, I don't care how good of sex they have. Their communication is, is often needs to be worked on. Look at you out on a ledge with that opinion that it doesn't matter how good the sex is. If you can't speak to each other, you have a problem in your relationship. I, that, that is something I fundamentally believe. Uh, me too. You know what? We're going to, we're going to certify that for the Megan talks podcast network. He says, what are you talking about? I always, she says talking is not listening. Oh, you know what? I just got I, people, people who are listening to the severance podcast know that I'm in the process of this. I've been re I've been watching the Sopranos for the first time. Great show. Fun. Really good show. I started season three at the beginning of season three. We were on a podcast. I made mention that I had a theory that Tony liked animals. I didn't realize, <laughs> I didn't realize that all of season three was about Tony. Loving I was animals. so excited when you said that. I was like, you were at the start of season three. Okay. Let's get you, to check you out this. Necess- you didn't necessarily hide it really well. Cause you're like, yeah, I think everybody knows fucking Tony likes animals. Cause all of season three is about him. loving animals. Anyway, I'm, I'm at a point. If you have not listened, if you have not watched the Sopranos and you want to watch the Sopranos, skip ahead. 30 seconds. Do the 30 second skip on your app. All right. Mm-hmm. Do it now. Tony and Carmela split up, right? Oh, yeah. Um, and I'm not any farther than that. They just split up, but that's yeah. what we got. And they, this sounds like Tony and Carmela, right? Boy. When it, she's like, you don't listen to me. Like you don't talk to me. You're not like talking. Isn't listening. It's like, this sounds like a couple breaking up. Like we I just listened to this couple. And by the way, the depiction of what a divorce looks like in the Sopranos, chef's kiss. Perfect. 100%. 100%. Perfect. Really well done. 
Anyway, boom, we got our got our spoilers free people back now. I won't do any more Sopranos spoilers, but I will say that something about this this conversation really resonated with me when with watching the Sopranos, and it just it feels like they're splitting up. Hundred percent. Again, this is similar to that last conversation of where you were seeing them using the coding of a different conversation and applying it in a different circumstance. And she is using the language of we're breaking up. This this fundamental issues with our communication, this relationship. But what she's actually saying is, toodles. I'm leaving in a different way. Yeah, she's saying deuces basically. (laughs) Just two middle fingers walking out the door. I'm out. God, if she if she exited the vault with just those on those terms, five out of five show. Fuck your pact. Fuck the rebels. Fuck the judiciary. I'm out. Anyway, she says because you're the lawman. I figured I needed to give you some proof. See that that his job and his role as law enforcement seeps into their relationship. She yeah. says, "I can't tell you how I know this, but they were never going to let us have children. I'm not the type of person they won't having kids." He's like, "What are you talking about? Who's they?" She says, "The enforcers uh, dude, of the pact." Dude, you're being stupid. He's like, you you know who they is. I, well, the only reason ignorant enough. the only reason I think he might actually be asking that question earnestly is because when he conveys the same information to the mayor later, she also asks, "Who is they?" And it makes me think that there are parts of this, and I don't know this. This is just me speculating. I don't know this. It makes me think that there are parts of this administration that are more bifurcated to certain aspects of what's really going on than others. And it would make, and it would track that maybe the, maybe the the position that you allow to actually be an elected position, Mm. you keep in the dark a little bit because you can't control that person as much. I'm willing to believe from what we've heard so far that they don't actually know that much about who judicial is or how it works. I feel like he is knowledgeable enough he could, you know, play this game of bad libs and fill in the blank, but I will accept your point that he probably literally doesn't necessarily know much about who's running this world. No, I think that, like, how close, like, your law enforcement officers in your community, like, just America, in your community are, like, with the courthouse and the judges that are there and the Mm -hmm. prosecutors, like... They're real close. They're not, real close. Not this world. Not this world. It's well, a, it's a whole different thing. He doesn't seem to know the judiciary at all, and that's what strange. It does tell me from what we see in this episode that the mayor and the sheriff, what you presume to be senior officials in this world, are the face of the organization rather than the power of the organization. Exactly. That's kind of what I was getting at. Is like the people who really run the show. How much do they want to trust the elected position? Anyway, she yeah. uh, she says the enforcers of the pact they want docile, obedient people. She, and he goes, I saw him take out your birth control. And she says, no, you no, didn't. You didn't. No, he didn't, sir. No, you didn't. He was behind a curtain. You didn't see what he was doing. No, I can what? assure you he didn't take out my birth control. How do you know that? Because I just did. You want to talk about a, a mic drop kind of line. That, one, that one's got to rank high for the episode. But we, let, we check the wound and it's still in her fucking hip. Again, here's a fun question. I'm so confused. Did men write this? I think it might have been like 17 year olds <laughs> wrote this. I got no conception of the female anatomy. Like, yeah, birth control goes to the thigh. That's right. Practically, I mean, it it could. There's means by which that can work. But practically speaking, I would. Yeah, and I pointed that out earlier. And I was saying, if that if that was the case, then you just stick it in like the arm or something. If it was hormonal, I gotta ask, how does she even know where to go? Because she goes into like her hip to find this thing. Because she because she had to undergo the procedure to put it in. Fair point. I don't. I don't know when that was put in. Um, but yeah, she may have a conscious enough memory of where they indicated that thing was. Maybe it's like, 
the first time she has her period, she's like rushed into surgery to have it, have it put on. Like it's like very medieval in that way. Very, very possible enough. It, yeah, again, I like the assumption she's willing to make about this world that things are accurate. They're like, how do you even know that's where it was? How would you trust them that they, that, that, that thing is where it might be? They have all the reasons to lie to you about where, where to find that thing. So cut to Holston running. This is my favorite sequence of the episode. Cut to Holston running through the streets. He's running into people as he goes. He's panicked. He's running and running. He goes into the doctors and he says, we got to go. It's Allison, which, by the way, extremely rude to the patient who's being worked on by the doctor. That is like a tough look from our guy Holston. To be fair, she is bleeding in a way that needs to be controlled immediately. Eh, is she? Um, I would I would think so. She went, I, dig- looked, she went I, digging. I, yeah, that, I don't. I don't think she's going to bleed out there. But anyway, as Holston is running back to his apartment, Marnes yells at him. Holston says, "Not now, not now." Allison's hurt, and then we get these this line, which is just shit. Like, it didn't do much for me the first time I watched it because I wasn't as invested in these characters. Mm-hmm. But when I rewatched it, it was such a chilling line. Allison's, Allison's in the cafeteria. Yeah, and Holston stops in his tracks. She's looking at the screen and she is, it does kind of sound like she's ranting. She's saying, none of this is real. Do you see, she's like the, the woman in the plane, you know, the meme, like that motherfucker up there is not real. Yeah. That's what she's doing right now with the screen. She I, says, there may be a certain element of blood loss going into this. I don't know if she's fully, you know, I don't think the blood, I don't think that wound is as bad as you think it is, but I think we, we we differ there. I think it's just like pulling something. I think she's lost six ounces of blood. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet more. I'm also willing to bet that she's also just fundamentally at a breaking point in her life right now. I think that it, that would be, would be strongly agree on that. She says, do you see, they want to keep you in here. So they are lying to you. It's green out there. There's green trees. There's blue skies. There are things flying in the air. Is no one listening to me? They are keeping us here. This display is a lie. And that's all, that's all she can get out before Holston stops her. It's notable that she just says things. She doesn't have enough educated woman that she is person in a position of you know power and prestige in this world does not know what the word birds are and it's just i think holston means well i really do i don't think holston's a bad guy i'm not a holston hater but it does really reek of kind of like male assumptions in these types of situations how he cuts right to she's we hysterical tried, we tried three times i know it's hard he's he, not addressing what she's saying he's not talking not listening to her he's not addressing the content of what she's saying he's jumping right to i know why this is happening and now i'm going to try to catch you up too the fact that he's grounding it in female reproductive issues in my mind i was like i was joking about hysteria but that's literally what he's doing it's like oh She's everyone. It's she, not. She, it's she's really freak, bad. She's freaking out over female reproductive issues. Everyone, don't worry. You all understand. You all understand. And I think that Rashida Jones read that in the script. Like I think she read his condescension and his ignorance into the into the script, and she acts it that way. She's not always given lines that that align with it, but she gives him a lot of like knowing looks that you would give like you son of like, a bitch. Like no, not not like that. More like. Honey, I, I I know you just don't get it, kind of stuff. Like like the real like kind of like placating smiles and knowing like basically I'm not going to get into this with you because you don't understand, right? And that's kind of what she does. And she's like, no, 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 listen to me. I'm not crazy. Why are you treating me like I'm crazy? Doctor says he's known several. Another male, by the way, says he's known several patients who have had a breakdown. And she uh, boom refutes the word breakdown right away. Holston points out you are bleeding and you need to come with me. And she says no, no. I've been thinking about this a lot, okay? And I will say this. 
I would not, if my wife was doing all this in the silo, we live by these same rules. I would not have come at her with the, we tried three times. I know it's hard, mm-hmm. but if we got to this point and she says, please, there's no other way. I'm sorry, G- honey. Gagger and I drag her. I would have tackled her. Yeah. I would have, straight I would have up done everything oh. physically to stop her from saying it. And Holt, it seems like Holston wants to, but it seems like it's all going too fast for him. This is in the category of, I'm about to watch my wife commit suicide right yes. here in front of me. I'm not letting that happen. I, I don't care. Not. I'm tackling her. I'm holding her down. I, I'd probably do the same to you if you were about to say it. I, if people I really care about it, I'd be like, no, you cannot say this thing. Yeah. Because we learn the severity of what she does later, right? Because she, she says, I'm sorry, honey. I want to go out. And you can hear a pin drop. There's gasps. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a tough scene. She's crying through tears. She says it again. I want to go out. And he's rocked. The whole place is is sort of gobsmacked. Marnes puts the handcuffs on her slowly and Holston looks destroyed. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it is. It's impressive how ingrained it is in this world that everyone is invested in this moment. No one is just like, you know, a passive, like, you know, rubbernecking observer. Everyone is crushed by this in this room, by the sudden reveal. Because I think a lot of people like her. I think yeah. they all know that she, I think it's clear. We've gotten a lot of evidence that people know she has a tendency toward conversating or thinking about things that are on the edge of legality. Right. But I think they all still like her. I mean, mm-hmm. she, when she's walking through the cafeteria, she's getting a lot of head nods, a lot of highs, a lot of people greeting her. And they just watched her and they, they just watched her commit suicide. They just she, watched her kill herself. She's also an element of a public figure. She's like, you know, like writing articles that people are reading. I mean, I, and she's I'm, a sheriff's wife, which is also yeah. a public figure. Because it, he's the head of he's the head of law enforcement for the whole place. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying she's like, you know, Katie Couric, because I don't think they have that kind of media personality. I think in some ways they wouldn't want to have that. But I, I, she's a known woman in brother, this world. Brother, come on, we gotta update that reference. We've got to. Katie Curry's seventy years old. We've got to update but that we, reference. But we've specifically talked about that us growing up, she was, you know, the face of news in many ways. She, I know, man. we got we got to move I, that I up. Don't th- I don't think there was that kind of centralized She's not figure. Megyn Kelly or anything. There we go. Look, look, at, what, but, look what I did. But I, I, feel, I feel like someone like Kenny Kirk was, you know, network transcending in a way I don't think he really exists to the same degree anymore. I think it's gotten much more balkanized. That's probably true. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, it, yeah. Is there anybody that really does... I mean, I, I think that kind of on the right, it does a little bit. I think Tucker Carlson has really permeated, but it, just, just not in, in a real power of viewership. Sure. Not, not in a positive way, but everybody knows who he is. Yeah. Um, anyway, Holston looks destroyed. We hear, and then we cut and we hear the mayor and I uh, look, I'll go ahead. I'm not burying the lead. Love the mayor. I asked one question at the silo panel at Dragon Con. It was about the mayor. Really? Uh, I love what this was, character. Can, can you tell me the question or is that? Yeah, I'll reframe it for you. But I, I basically asked. How much do you all think the mayor knows? Jack. And I think I think I that think was she bandied, is, I think she is well meaning but not in, and not in the loop. So we hear the mayor, good bureaucrat that she is, trying to find print her way out of this. And it that just hit my heart just right in the as, as a public administration major, that just hit me right in the feels <laughs> that she's trying to like figure out, okay, but she's yeah, to save are her there wife. are there exceptions in this? Are there like do we have exceptions in this regulation? Is there a dollar threshold on this procurement? Like, where's do, our out here? Do we have a temporary insanity defense? Can we use it? She says, maybe she misspoke or people misheard. And then, you know, the deputy says, well, people were there. They heard what they heard. And she dismisses that somebody like kind of references like killing or silencing the people. She's like, no, we're not doing that. But what about 
you know, the pact does allow you to ask for a meeting if you feel like you were misheard. And then he says, Allison does not feel like she was misheard. So apparently, I love that line because that gives you the indication that she is, she's stayed at this position in the interim, right? She's not backing off of that she wants to go out. Like, that's, yeah. she's not wavering. And he, she says, do you want to at least look at the personality? He snaps at her. You can understand why he might. He says, of course I do. Don't you think I've, and he's yelling this at her. He says, don't you think I've gone over it again and again? There's nothing I can do. The mayor looks at him with a lot of sympathy. Again, I like her. I would vote for her. And uh, cre- credit to the sheriff. I thought, I thought his acting has been pretty you know, fine and functional through this moment. He does well here of you know, emphasizing it. Well, it, it does well here emphasizing a guy that is beyond his breaking point, too, and is just trying to professionally hold it together right here because he's maintaining the conversation, getting increasingly frustrated, and here he just snaps. He's, you know what he seems like to me as an actor? He seems like a, a monologue actor. When you give him a lot of lines that he's saying by sure. himself, he, he shines. The, the repertoire may not quite be yeah, strong. Di- but anyway. Dialogue back and forth. The functional, com- commanding the scene, much better. He yells this line, and I want to nominate it for best line of the episode, Spencer. If you boil the pack down to one rule, it's do not say you want to go outside or you will fucking go outside. Good line. Good Love line. It. So there's something we learned, right? The pact is very clear. If you say at any point, I want to go outside. And, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't like, I would not like say like, yeah, let's, let's make a society do this. But I get the logic mm-hmm. with, we're all down here. There is a door that goes out. We can't have people constantly talking about wanting to go outside. That can't be the dynamic all the time. We got to mm-hmm. somehow shut that down. And that's, this is how they've done that. So it's, she asked if. It's ahead. a very effective way of silencing discussion. It's that whoever even raises the topic is removed. She asks if anyone else played a part in it. If anyone steered her into it, Marnes explains that there was Gloria Hildebrand. She apparently admits, because they went to talk to Gloria, that she put the bug in Allison's ear about them being the kind of people that, quote, they don't want to have kids. The mayor then asked, who's they? And they said, she doesn't know. She's just mad. She and her husband couldn't have kids. Uh, one thing I do, I do like about this scene, I'm going to give credit for a lot of moments that happen here after. I appreciate when law enforcement is portrayed as being competent on a show, or at least doing their jobs. They this, are portrayed as competent in this show. That's, that's, would you agree that law enforcement is probably the people that are most consistently portrayed as being incompetent in shows for various reasons to make the shows work? Yes. I like when you show people doing their jobs and doing it appropriately. And this, the entire point of this is, oh, they're actually investigating this and doing so thoroughly. Can I also say another thing I've seen in this type of media that is a trend as far as how professions are displayed? And this is one that affects you. And I don't think it's as good a way as maybe it seems. In these shows, the lawyers are always uber smart and they need to be because they're the people who piece everything together and figure it out and make the plot move forward. And what I've learned in my life is that lawyers tend not to just be on average that fucking smart. Like they're not going to piece it all together and fix it and like tie everything up in a nice bow at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm looking at you, Lincoln lawyer. I'm looking at you. <laughs> lawyers love to portray themselves as the learned profession as a practicing lawyer. Full of shit. Just Nobody's that smart. Shit. Nobody's that smart. Damn it. Mm. <laughs> Looking at you, Lincoln. Anyway, she had, uh, um, Marnes says they also hauled up the guy from the marketplace, George Wilkins. We get his last name. Mm-hmm. He runs a computer repair stall. Allison gave him tech support. Holson says that Allison went shopping the day before. He thought maybe she would see him. But apparently, George, not a snitch, claims she never came back to see him. And it sounds like these guys are buying that. It sounds like they believe that. It sounds like they don't have enough evidence to say otherwise, but are suspicious. Martin says, oh, you think they're suspicious? I, I thought they kind of bought it. Maybe, I, pa- maybe passively bought it, but didn't certainly didn't poke at it. I, th- I agree that we don't see them poke at it. 
some of the glances they're making in the conversation is almost just like frustrated they're not getting more out of him. Mm. We, I think I'm going to interpret it in different ways. Martin says a judicial team search is stalled, but they didn't find anything. Then why? Allison feels things. Sh- this is what he says. And this is still condescending. Allison feels things strongly, but not being able to have a baby. I think it was just too much. And I just put my notes in all caps. No Holston, you idiot. That is isn't it. <laughs> He's struggling for explanations himself. It's interesting on the searching his stall scene. Did you notice the camera focusing in on one little mm-hmm. just random thing? Like, oh, it's there. Gotcha. I understand. And now the guy's dead. I'm like, who's going to find that it's there? Yeah, they just didn't know what they were looking for. Yeah. Uh, she says, Holston, you don't have to be here for the rest. He says he's the sheriff. He's, he's I took an oath when I took the job. Duty. She's like, I know that. But he says, and potential line of the episode, potential line of the series, what's the value of swearing an oath if you only stick to it when it's easy? Yeah. And that's a great point. She smiles at that. And, uh, and not, not in like a beaming way, but in a, like a knowing, like, uh, a lot of respect. It was a real recognized, real type of smile. She says it's two day holiday, except for essentials. This is apparently standard protocol. When somebody says they want to go out, it becomes a two day holiday, except for essentials. She says it will likely affect a larger crowd than usual as it's been a while, which we established earlier when we were talking about the status of the lens of the mm-hmm. camera that it had been is kind of dirty. So it'd been a while since somebody went out. Uh, I love the transition in this moment of where up until this moment, she has been, Focused on caring for him, about how horrible this is, but whatever they can do to get around it. Now that it's been established that they're not going to try to get around it, she's making this bread and circuses. She's yeah. making it a public event. She's selling tickets. Well, I don't think that she's doing it. I think that no, that is standard protocol. That, but that, that's what I mean. I don't think she's personally a sadist or anything else along those lines. She's putting on her mayor hat and running with that heart. Yeah, I mean, she's doing. She's like, okay, well, then we're going to do the proper protocol. Now, that I think the better, for me, the better question is, not that you ask question, but a, a good question is, why is that the standard protocol? Why do they watch people go clean? Why is this written into the pack that they all sit around and check it out? It's a two-day holiday. All this bullshit. It's reaffirming the fundamental fables of the world. That they need to see what the outside world, I say with giant air quotes, looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and they need to see the dangers of it. That is a fundamental, foundational belief that they need everyone to have in this world. That the outside will kill you. Let's watch that happen. Cut to them preparing a suit. What did you see when they were preparing the suit? Uh, what, what, what do you mean? What did you, what, you see on screen? What do you remember? I see, I mean, the suit itself looks like, you know, some kind of uh, cheap-ass early Mercury level uh, astronaut suit. Uh, cheap-ass, but it looks like early, early kind of early Mercury. It looks know, a little cheap. Minimal, minimalist kind of astronaut suit. There's this giant, like, air filter thing I almost looks like that they're bringing around. I didn't understand, like, block or whatever else that I remember from it. Um, this seems like there's a lot of little moving parts that do not seem connected with the suit that they're otherwise moving about. And there's, like, a steaming. They're, like, put, like putting a treatment on it of some kind. Yeah, then, they, then they, we see that again later when she's, like, leaving the room or whatever else. There's that same kind of air blast that happens around her. There's a lot of focusing on gaseous vapors associated both with the outside and the inside in this suit. Cut to Allison with Holston and um, cut with Allison and Holston and Allison's in jail. She's telling him she's sorry, but she didn't go all crazy. He counters by pointing out she cut something out of her body with a knife. That does <laughs> not make that. that I, I don't think that's fair. I don't think that it, makes you crazy. It's a data point though. It is a data is, point. Sure it is, but that doesn't make crazy. She says it hurt like hell. He says, I took the capsule to Dr. Leonard. And she, boy, she, man, this sucks when somebody does this in a conversation. Because he mm-hmm. feels like he's he's got something now to share with her that will validate 
you know, and she, she goes, what did he say? Yeah, it was there to hold a spot, prevent infection, something like that. And he's like, fuck, that's fuck. exactly what he said. Yeah. And she goes, doesn't matter. And I put in my notes. Oh, but it does. <laughs> she says, mm. I have to tell you something, but I need you to sit close. I don't want anyone to hear. He resists at first, but she has to beg him to get him to come over. Finally sits closer and she sits down and says, first of all, I love you. That's the most important thing. He calls bullshit on that. Um, she says, well, I know you're angry. I would be too. If I could wind back the clock and not know what I know now, I would in a heartbeat. Liar. But, what I, but what I found out, what they told us isn't true. Why we're here. What happened 140 years ago? Why? And who gets to have children? And that's not even the big thing. I think we know what the big thing in her mind is because she gets to it eventually. And he says, so you found out something like that. You come to me. You bring it to the mayor, to judiciary. You let everybody Honey, in the silo know. Tried. Tried, dear. <laughs> You would not have been receptive from everything we saw previously. This is, this is, um, yeah, you, I have this feeling a lot when, and when I'm watching Sopranos where Tony and um, Carmela are arguing. Mm-hmm. And I have, like everybody, I have a tendency to want to favor Tony, but she'll just get him sometimes. And I'm like, Tony, you got nothing there. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like he's just so wrong here because he's like, well, for, first of all, she had, she did try to bring him sensitive topics and he put his sheriff hat on and kind of forced her out of the conversation so he wasn't approachable in that way also if i found out that the entire basis of our society was a lie no i wouldn't go to the head of government to talk about it not mm-hmm. right away no i'd be a little fucking skeptical of the head of government like Partic- this doesn't make any sense to me particularly with how he's acted in the past with respect to it it's like you know you're framing this as if you hey honey you could have told me anything and every conversation we've seen previously that's just not the case so he says, instead, you go out there to die. And she goes, that's the thing. <laughs> I'll go trim off there. I won't die out there. Listen, they have the ability to change what we see on the screens in the cafeteria, through the silo, everywhere. They take an image and alter it somehow. And what we see is not what's out there. It's what they want us to think is out there. This is where Spencer goes, well, that's what was out there 140 years ago. You don't know what the fuck's out there right now. Yeah, again, there is a profound element of assumption going in here. She has a reasonable basis to engage in that series of assumptions, but, you, dear, you got to recognize that you don't, you're missing some key data points to make those very confident conclusions right now. He points to what looks like dead bodies on the screen and says, what's that? What's that? The last three people who cleaned. So apparently the bodies that we see out there are the people who went out there to, quote, clean, which is really just people who either committed some infraction that was egregious enough to be sent out or said, I want to go out. Mm-hmm. She says, or maybe that's not what it is. What if it's just rocks and bushes? She put pu- she pushes saying that may just be what the computer wants him to see. Holston asks, well, if it's so nice outside, why wouldn't they want us to go outside? And she goes, well, that's the part I don't fucking know. I don't know, but I'm going to find out. She says she wants to say one more thing to him, and then he should get some sleep. She says, why do people clean? He's like, well, you know, to get dust off the, the lens. And she's like, no, no, no. People swear they're not going to do it. Now, this is something we didn't know. We're learning this through the dialogue. That when people go out, a lot of them say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not cleaning. I I refuse to. However, when they get out, they always clean. Apparently, this is something through their lifetime. Everybody who's ever been out is cleaned. And she has a theory that the reason is because when they get out there, they see something different than they'd seen on the screen. And they want everyone to see it. Mm -hmm. They they wipe the, the lens hoping that that will help people see it. Now... This is where I would say, does anybody in the silo know ASL? Does any, can anyone teach me fucking? <laughs> no, no. Can anybody do that? 
Okay, yeah. all right. No, okay, no, yes, lang- no language courses in the silo. It's not part of their balanced curriculum. All right, got it. But she, I mean, she, in essence, kind of works out uh, a little, um, a system to get convey information to him in the end anyway, right? Yeah. She says she'll walk over the hill, find out what's going on. Then she's going to come back for him. Cut to another beautiful shot of looking up at the silo. And then we see holding three. And the tape is going, I want to point this out. There is some weird looking tape, not weird, but very distinct looking tape being put on her legs and arms. They made a point of showing us that. She's being read the words from the mayor. That she, that once, that her wanting to go outside, once uttered, it is determinative. Mm -hmm. You have been asked to clean and have been provided with materials to do so. Which we saw the wool being put into her little pocket, you know. Uh, what are those things called? The little uh, fanny packs? Fanny yeah, it is her spacesuit fanny pack, yes. But you cannot be forced to do so. Once outside the airlock, you are outside the law. She looks up and sees her husband. And he has to say this to her. And this is really wonderful acting between the two of these here. This is fan-fucking-tastic in my mind. Mm-hmm. He, he repeats the lines. Why, you know, we don't know who's here. We don't know who built the silo. Hey. Everything I said in the beginning. And he repeats it all to her again. He's delivering a monologue. Yeah. And he's good. Yeah, yeah, he's exactly. Yeah. He's good. I think we might have discovered something about this actor. Mm-hmm. She says, on behalf of the people of Silo, I hope that you will clean so that we will better see the world outside our sanctuary as it is and thereby be reminded that here is safe. And there is and there not. Is not. <laughs> she looks at him. He asks her if she has any last words. She says, I love you. He says, I love you too, through tears. They put the helmet on her. We get the theme here. Another important moment where we get the, the theme we see her go into a holding chamber. They shut the door. The mayor bows her head. So this actually affects the mayor too. Mm-hmm. She does look emotionally because the, the, the crowd's not around here. This is just, an, this is just a reaction. And, for her. and she holds hands with the deputy. She does hold hands with the deputy when they're watching the screen later. And then she yeah. says, we, then we see the room fill up with some sort of gas. Yes. And the door on the other side of the room opens and she starts to walk. And we see Holston inconsolable leaning against the wall. The implication, if we believe any aspect of this world, which, you know, why would you, is that there's a certain element of gas exchange occurring so as to, you know, fully separate out the inside and the outside. When she leaves, we see the room is lit aflame. <laughs> Clean away whatever the poison is. Bad vapors, see, bad vapors. we got a question about this at the, the, panel, the panel at DragonCon. And I bring it up because if we, there was a question there and the room didn't know the answer to it at the time, other people probably are pondering this. The guy was like, oh, well, usually you do the you do the like the incinerator when you are coming into an organization not when you're going out like that doesn't it didn't make sense to him why you would be so thorough in the the incineration of the space when nobody's coming in it's just someone going out and i think the answer to that which i didn't think of at the moment which i don't know this is pretty stupid on my part is well no some of the air does come in to that chamber she, she went into she the chamber go, with the door open. She's got to go to the other side. So that other right. door does open. So some of the outside air gets in there. So presumably they lighted a flame to get rid of whatever that is. What we came up with in the panel, which it, in retrospect isn't particularly bright, is it forces her to go out. <laughs> she can't stay in the holding chamber because <laughs> she's going to fucking incinerate when she's there. I interpret it as th- that is a chamber that she's going into that has access into the interior. We see her walk into there. They got to clean that you know keep at least the myth going that there is some outside toxin that they're venting in before they then let her out yeah we see the people in the cafeteria watching her and we see holston go to the screen in the holding cell so he watches it alone which i think is poignant and he sees her go up to the camera 
and clean. Oh, and there, uh, uh, there's a part earlier that I, I missed where she told him, hey, how about this? When I go out, if the world is exactly like we think it is by looking at the screen in here, I will not clean. But if it, but if it's what I think it is, it's what I've been telling you. If it's green, if it's lush, if it's beautiful, it's something different. I will clean, and that's how you'll know. It's interesting too, practically speaking. Fire. What outside threat would fire clear out? Wouldn't do shit on radiation or anything else like that. You usually yeah, interpret yeah. fire as being like gas, certain kinds of gas, also biological. Like you know, a pathogen of some of some, some some shape or variety. Some sort of like, yeah, it could be some sort of like vi- airborne virus. But it, but the problem with that is that how would that thing live airborne without host for hundreds of years? Again, so, so much of this doesn't make sense. Yes. So it makes me think it's some sort of gas that is just in the atmosphere in abundance for some reason. They're not able to clear it out, and that it, you know it, it, they can light it a flame and get rid of it. Yeah, but why would that affect her inside her suit unless her suit is utterly entirely worthless? She goes up to the camera, Spencer, and guess what? She cleans. And so the cheers ring out in the cafeteria, which I found strange that they're cheer. Like, it's like they're cheering for this thing. Like, these people, there's there's 10,000 people in the silo. There's only about 100 people who can fit in this cafeteria. So there's demand to get in there. These people had to, like, like maybe sign up early, lottery well, ticket. The, the, I interpreted this as being, like, you know, you know how like during, like during the Inquisition that their ultimate objective was not to kill you, it was to get you to confess and seek forgiveness and seek absolution? That's what the act of cleaning is. Is that, you know, whatever else your crimes, whatever else your, you know, disloyalty of the world, your final act is to do a service to the community. Which is factoring into the beliefs that, oh, can, she's been, she's seeking forgiveness, she's seeking final service, she can be absolved. So there's a celebration associated with that in my mind in their world. And for the people in the cafeteria, it's a, I don't know. It's the kind of thing people like for the kind of, I don't know. But also just like higher resolution TVs, man. Same, same category. It's the kind of thing people like for the kind of people who like that kind of thing, maybe. Yeah. That's, there there you go. That's how you, that's how you say it. And he watches it. He goes up to her at the cameras. She cleans. And George even smiles at the cleaning, which I found interesting that he smiled at it. And we see Allison's face very clear, and she gives a, just a quick little glimpse of a smile, but then she drops her smile looking at it and then she starts to walk and she, she's struggling immediately. Yeah. But around her, what we see desolate, no vegetation, one single tree, no leaves. I find it strange that one single street tree with no leaves can survive for 400 years and look exactly the same. I find that, that tree a little skeptical, like 140, maybe it's petrified. Yeah. But like, they're, but they were in the silo when the rebellion happened. Uh, everything's dead, so man. It, it even the fungus. It didn't, it didn't start 140 years ago. Like, uh, you know. Even the fungus and the mold are dead, man. Everything's dead. There's nothing you know to break. There's is, nothing you, to decay. You, remember, you went to UNC Chapel Hill like I did. That's I did. Wonderful school. You, you know that the, the, the campus is famous for a tree. Do you know the name of the tree? I actually don't remember the name the of the tree The old Davy right Poplar. The old oh, yes. Davy yes, Poplar yes, tree. Yes. You know what they've done with that tree? Don't tell me what's going on. They have poured cement into the center of it so that it will just stay in place and hold and just be that way forever. That's just this sad. Is, this is what they've done. This is what this tree is. This is a cement. <laughs> this is the old Davy Poplar. This is a cement tree. No, tr- no tree just exists in perpetuity without leaves in a climate that's otherwise hospitable to all other vegetation. Mm-hmm. I call bullshit on the tree. But, anyway, 
I remember reading from a hearing from a natural history professor that it was actually a period in world history of where there were trees and there were plants, but there were no mold or fungi yet to break them down, and so they just piled up forever until those things evolved to actually decay them. Oh yeah, and like you know, if you're like, if you're like Adam, like if you're the very first human, you're like, thank God for mold, Jesus, <laughs> fucking trees are everywhere. That's an essential purpose. Yeah, just get your Saruman on. We need to clear some of these trees out of here. Mm. Uh, so anyway, she falls down, starts to stumble. We see the mayor grab the deputy's arm. She does hold his hand. Spencer's on that one quick. Shipping. Uh, we see Allison get back up. She walks a little bit more before she falls down. What looks like for good and does not get up. Again, and the level of thing. The level of things that would kill her that fast. And now the way she Phew. falls, the way she falls and where she falls, it's a, you can rewind the episode. That's a direct uh, shot for shot with how it looks when he he's touching, when he's, him. he's touching the monitor saying he wants to go out two years later. hundred percent. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll talk more in questions about what the fuck yeah, killed her that fast. Yeah. Um, so Holston watches the whole thing and the mayor and the deputy in the cafeteria watch on. We see the lights in the silo go out. And that's when, when we, we saw that, sh- that might have looked like a throwaway shot to people. But they have a artificial sun that comes on and comes off that they turn on yeah. at the top of this thing. Um, so lights go out. People walk out of the cafeteria, including George. And then we see the tweet or the text uh, two years later. And we see Holston at the dining room table. He's eating. He's eating alone. He walks to the cafeteria alone. He's in his mm-hmm. office alone. This, is, this man's living an isolated, solitary existence. Hasn't been a great two years. Then Marnes comes in. He explains that George, the guy who talked to Allison, got a transfer to mechanical last year, but now he is dead. He went, quote, over the rails. I got the impression that was an in-world phrase that's used, go over the rails. Somebody didn't keep to the right, man. Uh, somewhere around 120. That's the, the level, I guess, he fell over it. So a good bit down. Mm-hmm. The sheriff asked if it was an accident. Marnes says, I don't know. The sheriff asked about Hank. And Marin says he didn't say much. No one saw George go over. And he gets it. Go ahead. Hank, I think, I, think, I, think we're, I don't think we ever had the other officer named here in the next scene, but uh, or I think we reasonably believe that Hank is the officer that is down on that floor. I think so. Um, who we okay. do see. And he says, uh, get to the part you're not telling me. He says, there's an engineer down there who says it's murder. Do you think the deputy would be suspicious even without that based on his tone? Or is it just purely the person that's saying it's murder that's got it on his radar? I didn't think there was anything in what Marnes was saying that precipitated or necessitated get to the part you're not telling me. Mm -hmm. I think he was just immediately skeptical. And I think it's probably because he, he, so he has started to, over these two years, buy into a lot of what Allison was saying. Quietly. And the idea and the idea that George would just up and die, who was one of the last people who talked to her, he immediately is connecting dots in his own head because he has bought into a lot of the things that Allison had told him. Not fast enough because he wasn't he wasn't able to tell her that he believed her in the moment. But I think he believes her now. Credit to the evil overlords that they're patient enough to wait two years to kill him. Well done. If it, if it had been in a week, that would have been too obvious. That's a Putin-esque move, right? That's a, uh-huh. yeah, I don't know if that man has the patience to wait two years anymore based on recent that's events. A, a, you know, we'll just we'll just wait we'll wait a, wait a little while you, and then that guy's going to get got. You moved to the UK? Oh, I hope you enjoy your new home. Cuts of the body being pulled out in the morgue and he's fucked up for sure. Marnes asks for the engineer who says it's murder, this phantom engineer we keep hearing about. Ma, um, Marnes asks after her and he does so in phrasing that indicates that it's female. He says she, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's apparently... Something came up. She couldn't even come. 
So she flaked on these people and Marnes is pissed because they all walked all the way down there and she can't even meet with them. And she actually says meeting with us isn't optional. And get, get, fucking, this girl says she's murdered. We need to fucking speak to her. Holson is like, look, what came up? Why can't she do this? And the deputy says the generator. And I went, oh, that's when it clicked for me. I was like, oh, that's the most important thing in this whole fucking universe. Yeah. Bar none. Like, Whoa. From <laughs> Are we to believe, based on what they described, that there literally is one generator for this entire fucking silo? You will get more information about the structure of all that, but I think the, the, I think the I think the the core point here is we're supposed to realize, oh fuck, the power source is really important. Yeah, her level of they, they frame her as being you know some warlock that's residing at the bottom of the structure. You know she is. She doesn't look like a warlock. <laughs> Rebecca Ferguson, no, she is not. Um, but. She, as you said, has the single most important job in the entire universe if she is the one that's actually powering this entire, you know, system. Yeah. Hilston says, um, what does she do? And the guy goes, well, she pretty much keeps everybody alive. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they walk down a hallway and into a boiler room looking area. And then we see a really large looking thing. I presume this is the generator. I don't know what fucking generator right. that size would look like, but apparently that's what this looks like. It, it, it almost looks like, you know, those... Um, uh, those giant coal furnaces at the bottom of the Titanic in terms of what you know the physical appeal of it is. It looks like we're in the middle of an iron smelter right now in terms of how this device looks. Like there's actually a fire inside it. I think you have you have accurately noted that this story includes a lot of elements of stories that have already been told. And I think that one of the elements that I'm picking up on in episode one immediately that's kind of slapdashed into this story is this concept that the people who really make society go mm-hmm. are the underappreciated people who literally are below, yes. who are below everybody else. But they are the they are the absolute linchpin, the necessity of the society that nobody's appreciating, at, you know, to the, the extent they should. Anyway, they figure out that this lady's name is Juliet, Juliet Nichols. And we see her working inside the generator. Holston's watching her. She gets out, waves at one of the workers to do something. She looks over at Holston. Then we hear Marn's voice. It's a voiceover. Mm-hmm. What happened between you and her? For two years, you were dead inside. Then you met Juliet Nichols. And this is the sheriff's voice back to him. He says, I finally started listening, is all, to Allison, to what she was trying to tell me. I'm not going to tell you what, it, what that was. All you need to know is I'm going to go find her. We cut to present day. This is when he is in the cell, the sheriff's in the cell, the deputy's outside of it. Deputy says, you want to find her. She's right there. Corpse is staring you in the face. And he points, he points at the, at the video monitor and she, he says, I'm sorry. As much as I love you, you old bastard. I love Allison more. If that really is her out there or not, either way, I'm done. I'm out. I got to know the truth. Mm-hmm. End of, end of episode. There it is. Episode one silo. Fe- effective first episode. Uh, it, I, I've, the, uh, to use the TV trip term, there's a bit of a dead star walking element associated with Rashida Jones of where I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to see what the mystery is. She's going to central tenant of it. No, they kill her off mid, like midway through the first episode. You didn't think there was any chance she was in this thing for the long haul? Uh, I thought there was hope. I thought they might be going in that direction associated with it, but they quickly dashed that. It's like, no, she is stuffed into the fridge. She is driving otherwise the main characters in terms of what they're going to do with the rest of the plot. I saw the thumbnail for the show which includes a picture of Juliet. Yeah. Not her. And I immediately thought, well, they have to kill her off pretty quickly because if, if she's your star, you're putting her on the thumbnail. I, I don't know whether it was intentionally or not. I have not looked at the thumbnail of the show. either. 
Yeah, I don't know how you get to. I don't know how you get to it without doing that. I guess you're just flying. You're just going not, quick. Not even paying attention. Just silo go. Too many. There's spoilers in every aspect of everything you watch nowadays. There really, really is. All right, let's cut to our segments. We start with best line of the episode. I and I alone am emperor of best line of the episode. Spencer, however, every week, gamely supplies me with nominees for best line of the episode. He typically pulls his personal laptop up where he's got his notes, trusty notes with a Bam. lot of options. Keep vamping. Do you have any for me this week? I'm trying to pull them up diligently. I've got a couple others on this other laptop. I'll, I'll do real quick because you emphasized these, so I reiterated them here, but... If you boil the pack down to one rule, it's do not say you want to go outside or we, you will fucking go outside. Uh, another one, what's the value of swearing an oath if you only stick to it when it's easy? A couple others There's here. some pretty solid ones. I, yeah, Holston, it's a, it's a strong Holston episode for sure. I, now, I, now, if you're putting, you're, but while, while I give you some, some room to find your stuff, if you're putting betting odds on Holston surviving episode two, <laughs> or no let's not say surviving but mm-hmm. let's see let's say will we see non-flashback holstead in episode three what do you what, what would you bet on that uh how long is this season 10 episodes i think it's like nine or ten uh i i think i think he'll i think we'll see him alive in episode three okay i i, I think i think like three or four is a good time to kill him off if they're going to send him out gotcha um, okay, other ones here. Uh, the, the the mantra. We do not know why we are here. We do not know who built the silo. We do not know why everything outside the silo is as it is. We do not know when it will be safe to go outside. We only know that day is not today. I feel like that mantra is going to be coming up quite a bit in the show, and I feel like they're eventually going to subvert it in some shape or form to fit you know the new rebellionist mindset of our characters. Uh, we, um, we do not know... When we started to review television shows, episode by episode on a but, podcast. Network. But we do know that we shall not stop we, today. <laughs> we will stop one day. We just know that day is not today. Now, now, now you're going to Lord of the Rings, but today is not that day. Uh, For Frodo. Uh, you, do not, you do know you need to get my approval for the IT real life. This is from uh, T- Tim Robbins' brief Your role favorite in the episode. Character. Uh, hmm, yeah. uh, you do know you need to get my approval for any IT related content before it goes wide and then follow it. Hmm. You know, you should like that though, because that's a real lawyer move to be like, you know, that should have been run by me before that went public. Like that is, everyone has heard that from their legal department at some point. hundred percent. Though I'll say the legal department never has the right to say, I, I independently deleted it without consulting with you. I'm just informing <laughs> that's you fair, now. That's a fair point. That's a fair Every point. legal department would love to do that, but no, the we don't get to do that. The rare counterpoint. But yeah, I, I took it down, your post. I have no doubt your intentions were good, but our reporting structure is there for a reason. Uh, this is from Allison Leiter. We blame the rebels for erasing our history, right? So why can't we ask questions about that stuff? And if losing our history is so bad, why can some goons from judicial send you down to the mines if you happen to have a relic from the before times? Allison. Yeah, cutting off right there, important cutoff. Uh, from Gloria Hildebrand. One last thing. Do you really think you're the kind of person they want having children? Effective line for a lot of reasons like we discussed. Uh, do, do, do. Uh, line from the mayor that I liked, because again, I think there's a double meaning here. If they had succeeded, if they had opened the door to the outside world, none of us would be here right now. Uh, the song that you so beautifully ring- rendered in your delightful singing voice, all of that mm-hmm. has meaning and power. 
Uh, as you said, I want to go out rings strong at several moments in this episode. I think it's going to be a repeated kind of line for that entire series. I want to go out. Um, uh, mic drop line we talked about. I can assure you, he didn't take out my birth control. And the sheriff, how do you know that? Because I just did. Oh. Uh, to do, and then another point line from Allison. I think people clean because they hope somehow that they can show people the truth show people the truth that that is a lie so collection for you to pick from sir do you god emperor the segment have a final solution best line of the episode episode one silo is if you boil down the pack to one rule it's do not say you want to go outside or you will fucking go outside there you go i think that sets the tone for the series i think it's powerful fundamental rule and it was said through gritted teeth by a morning husband so shout out to that line good line good good stuff right there all right let's go to silo citizen of the week wonderful segment that we've cooked up here i like the ring to that it has a good nice ring to it silo (laughs) citizen of the week nice semi-alliteration so it's good i I have an additional nominee to offer unless you want to start i'd like to hear your nominee I think he does. I think he's a mixed bag as a husband, but I think as an employee and you know citizen of the silo, the sheriff does his job and does it well. And I think that's emphasized in the thoroughness of what we see of him actually performing his duties of his investigation. How well he's regarded by those that operate around him and clearly respected, but also more importantly, in a way that fundamentally impresses the mayor and those around him. When push comes to shove, he's willing to hurt himself to do something that is painful to him to do what he feels like is his duty not willing to find compromises or exceptions associated with it. Question, if you will, the ultimate morality of that. Question is genre blindness associated with all of his wife's revelations. Question is inability to communicate with her. All that's fine. But from a purely a duty standpoint of fulfilling role, man's doing what you would want a sheriff to do in that position, assuming you have any trust or respect for the institutions associated with it. So I don't pick him because, like, if you lash yourself... Like repeatedly, it, it really does hurt, and you are you are sacrificing your body and your how you feel. Like you, there is real sacrifice if you continue to lash yourself. But if you're doing it for no fucking reason, mm. I'm not as impressed. Like him, him saying the words to her before she went out could easily have been done by Barnes. Like that is that's not would not have been a problem for anybody if somebody else did it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessary that he do it. It felt masochistic in some way or like maybe that he felt he felt like he had failed as a husband and therefore he deserved it and he, he was supposed to hurt I, I think there's an element of that yes like but it it was all it, it, his contribution wasn't so important that he had to do that so yeah he did it and that was real sacrifice there but who gives a fuck because he didn't well, have to do it i think i think his sacrifice there earns respect for the institutions that otherwise wouldn't exist i think that it's a conscious effort on his part to solidify public trust in those institutions that people are willing to condemn their own loved ones as part but of i didn't job. even see uh, the, the people watching that that sequence he was reading that thing in a like a private room like to her like i didn't see I, him do anything publicly I, I, I had an implication that was being broadcast in some way, but that was, I mean, it may just be assumption on my part. It should have been if it wasn't, because you're right. That would have that would have shown like, hey, we we do this at all times, right? Yeah, like, no I exceptions. Agree. I agree. That would have shored up some belief in the institution there. I'm going but who to you go. Picking? I'm going to go with the mayor because you, you and the mayor, you're already spitting on this woman. Yeah. Well, first of all, she delivers a banger of a speech, and she does what she's supposed to do. Oh, she's a banger. Do. 
Uh, she's what she's supposed to do. You are shipping her heart. That's what she's supposed to do. <laughs> You're the one doing it. She's what she's supposed to do. She she is supposed to give a rousing speech on their Independence Day that gets everybody excited to be a part of a community. And that's exactly yes. what she did. She did exactly what she's supposed to do. But there's a personal touch in all of her individual interactions with the people immediately around her. But she also understands she has this broader job to do. Case in point, she's working with Holston. She's saying, look, we can talk through this. We can maybe try to work out something when she becomes clear. Nobody in the room is really interested in doing that. But her, it seemed, including the person who's going to be sent to her death. Mm-hmm. She backs off that. And then she gives him an out. And, and even if she knew he wasn't going to take it, even if she was ultimately maybe not even going to let him have an out. The fact that she went down that road to start with, with him to show empathy to his situation is like a personal touch of a really deft politician. It's like, Oh, she didn't cut right to, all right, we're not going to, we're not going to save her. Then let's make, let's do my job. She has this middle ground where she goes, hold on, let me talk to you one-on-one here. You know, that like, everything is so fucking weird divisive now i hesitate mm-hmm. to bring an individual name up but they said that bill clinton was really good at that that like in, he, he that he'd be like working a line and he, was, he would be working a line and he would stop and look at one person and like yeah. speak speak to whatever he Engage. could speak to about that one person and let everything else fall away for a moment i feel like she did that with the sheriff and that shows why she's in the position that she's in but ultimately did turn and say okay well it's gonna happen here's how we do it and she also carried, and it's not the same level as the sheriff, right? The sheriff's dealing with a whole buku of pain that nobody else is feeling. But she does but care. She, she does care, and it did hurt her to do this, but she did it anyway. So she also had an element of duty there. She was portraying. Uh, Shout out to the mayor. She gets my vote. I fundamentally agree with everything that you said there. However, I think we're leaving a key issue that casts da- cast her down several points in my mind. She not only allowed Vuvuzelas at a public event, she had a set moment in her speech inviting them to play. Loses her points forever in my mind. I thought you were going to say her scandalous affair with the deputy who works under her. And we all know how you feel about boss-employee relationships as established on the Ted Lasso podcast. Uh, unacceptable. Had me, had <laughs> Not me a fan. I, I, I didn't even want to go into it. I d- didn't even want to discuss it. It's too shameful to even bring up. But now that you put it out in the air, It's yes. all in the papers. It's in the papers. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is that. <laughs> all right. Let's let's get into some theory. Let's get some speculation here. I want okay. to hear some of your thoughts about some of the open-ended questions from the episode. Okay. Well, we, we already discussed it recently, so I want to go into it now. What could kill her? Assuming that... She, okay, let's operate on... Let's, let's go two things here. When you first watched the episode, did you think she was dead? Or are you in the sheriff's camp and assuming that she's alive? When I first watched the episode, I thought she was alive. Uh, I'm actually defaulting to I think she's dead because I can't think of a reason why they wouldn't kill her. They kill her? I, I think that she's... I, I, do you mean they the show, or do you mean they the silo people killed her? Yes, but mostly the silo people. Okay, all right. I, I can't think of a reason that they would leave her alive. If there is a world out there, I can think of even more reasons they wouldn't want to leave her alive. I, I think that her... I think what we saw was an act of murder. My assumption is that they effectively put things in her suit, maybe like Zyklon B gas, so that she straight up dies right there right 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 then and there she's going is going out to the tree is part of the theater that they want to concoct for this world i think they're altering the image period all kinds of ways but i do not think this woman is alive i think that they killed her and i think it's something they put in the suit to make that happen is the assumption i have at this stage but you thought she was alive so tell me more about that i thought when i first watched it i thought she was alive because i thought that 
I was really focused. I was hyper focused on this concept that they were altering the visual on the screen. Mm -hmm. And if they were doing it to show you a like desolate, you know, post-apocalyptic world, as opposed to this like vibrant green lush area, then it would follow to me that they would want to show you the people going out there dying. Right. Like, um, I, t- I felt like those Agree two on that. Were, I felt like those two things were connected. I felt like if I am to believe that they are faking the image that is really out there, if I am to believe that it really is green and nice and lush out there, then I am also to believe you can't trust that anybody. she, she, whatever we see on that screen, we can't trust. And she may be dead, not dead running around skipping. There might be a party out there. It might be dragon con out there with cosplayers. You don't fucking know can't trust anything on that screen anymore. So that's kind of where my head was at the end of this episode. I'm, I'm with you. We can't trust any aspect of the visual. I, we have we have been given evidence to say that what is being portrayed there is either not entirely accurate or just a complete fiction. I would appreciate the irony of whether it's a complete fiction and she's dying in paradise for the sake of maintaining this illusion. If they're still killing her through various reasons, whatever else, almost unnecessarily as part of maintaining the maintaining the kind of fiction of where she's dying in what, from her perspective, is an utterly beautiful, perfect landscape, and from their altered perspective, is a is is a, is a brutalized hellscape by comparison. So I have not. So the point of the silo is to ostensibly keep people Protect alive. People, yes, right. I have not at the end of episode one jumped to the idea that whoever's in control. Phantom judiciary, second mayor, governor, president, whatever the fuck, whatever the fuck the, the they is, mm-hmm. just kills people. I have not seen evidence that 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 occurs, and I haven't jumped to that to that well, yet. Well, so I, I did not believe that that. At least I at the, what I have at the end of this episode, I didn't think they wanted to kill her or tried to kill her or anything. Well, we believe, or we have reason to believe, that this is an element of a dystopia, and there is a despotic world in some ways running this. I think we've got enough basis to conclude that, or at least basis to have assumptions in that regard from what we've seen yeah, in the episode I so can far. Agree with that. It's just a question of how far they go. Is it straight up, you know, 1984 murdering people, dis- disappearing people right and left, or is it a more mild kind of thing of where it's just oppressive and controlling, but it's not straight up murderous to maintain the fictions? Um, yeah, I don't know. So, but a key aspect of this is she alive or is she dead? If we assume that she died, let, let actually okay, let, let's, let, let's let's do this. Let's actually just say that everything that we're seeing is accurate. That it is actually a hellscape out there, or there is at least some legitimate reason that they are protecting people in here. Let's actually just go that alternative path. That you know, actually, some of their fears are well founded in some shape or form. So that's not an alternative path for me. No, that's working in some aspect within what you believe. I yeah, I don't think people would go through all the trouble of the silo just to contain people in a space. Well, I think there had to be an existential threat out there at some point, and I think that they probably still exist. It, it, very much so. It even could throw in some aspect of a Wally thing over. It may have been true at one time, but maybe increasingly untrue, and they're just unwilling to adjust to that. Who knows? Okay. But there's a lot of different ways to interpret this. We can't just assume unnecess- assume that they're even conflicting the idea that this could be a despotic government, but they also have some justifications for why they're doing what they're doing. A lot of despotic governments have that foundation, is that they actually had a legitimate concern, but used it as a ma- basis to maintain and wield absolute control. If there is actually a threat, and it does actually kill her, 
what could that be to kill her as fast as we see? And okay, so it could be something in the suit that they put in. Let's if, say if it's murder. not the suit, though. If, if, Let's if, say it's something else. If, if it's an outside factor, it is killing faster than almost anything else that could exist out there in the universe. Like we said, it can't be radiation. It can't be... All, if it's a pathogen, it's the fucking Andromeda strain in terms of how fast I it's had killing this, her. I had this thought. I thought it would be like, what if she just ran out of air? What if she just didn't think to take her helmet off? Possible. And they just didn't give her air. That that would be a certain aspect of Or murder. they just gave her, you know, a, a limited amount, you know, enough that enough whatever, to claim. Whatever, whatever was like contained in that suit when they put it on and then... She used it all up, and she never took her helmet off, and she just killed over. Like that would be the, that would be the fucking shits. That would suck. It it, it could be. She drops very quickly. I mean, it's this isn't this is faster than almost any poisoning that could exist, unless it's straight up Holocaust chambers. Like I was referencing Zyklon B. Of like, right. But that wouldn't presumably get through her suit. It could be an aspect of just simply suffocation, but she doesn't show the physical signs of it. Zyklon B hurts. Yeah, like, she would have been. It's not good. She would have been making motions as if, because her lungs would be burning. She would be doing, gesticulating. She would be doing, it wouldn't just be, boom. Yes. So, uh, that's why I'm thinking she just ran out of oxygen. Because that's the only thing that would, like, make it just kind of over like that. It it is possible. Though, even then, there's some aspect of struggle to it. And it's a weird kind of thing of where she almost seems like she loses energy. She almost just seems like she's just... Yeah, there's an, that's a good way to put it. There's an element of like deoxygenation in the blood, but without the suffering attached associated with it. Um, a lot of unanswered questions associated there. Um, another one I had just going off with respect to that. At this point, what if we assume there is an outside threat? I almost would prefer that there is. I, 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 would, I would appreciate if it wasn't just completely from the word go a fiction. What outside threat did you work on the assumption it was? I, is it post-apocalyptic? Is it yeah, alien invasions? Is all it of these environmental stories, collapse? It's interesting how I think I think how you answer this question says something about you. Yes. Because in all of these stories where we start somewhere and the world is fucked and then we have to like rewind the tape to figure out why. Yes. I always assume we fucked the world. <laughs> Humanity's fault. I always assume that we uh, we used all the energy. We heated the we heated the earth up to an incredible amount that was just wasn't safe to live on the surface. That we destroyed all the vegetation and therefore you can't get good oxygen in the, you know, the air and it's just in you can't inhabit it anymore. That this is like the year three thousand fifty one mm-hmm. and we just destroyed the earth and people had to go underground which, just to survive, which would factor into a kind of Wally thing of where, you know, that could hundred percent be true. And then just the removal of humans from the equation is that a profound starts, effect. Yeah. It starts to almost like the, the, the whole history of the earth sort of restarts when humans go underground and it's allowed to, you know, the trees pile up on each other until mold comes back, you know, and, and all this stuff. I, I lo- and I love the real world examples of that we have of where if you go into the Chernobyl exclusion zone or if you go into the Korean demilitarized zone, these are places that, you know, the humans are not safely able to occupy for differing reasons that are now incredible nature preserves with the most highest levels of biodiversity of any of their surrounding areas. For the reason that despite the fact that we're the outside threats, up. there's no humans and that's the bigger difference. Yeah, we're not fucking it up. Yeah. So I just always assume that. Now, I think that there are people out there who would assume that, oh, aliens came and took things over. And, and they're, they're, 
they're, they're at their core, right? They, when they have to fill in the blanks of a story, it becomes conflict, adversarial war, you know, some sort of armed conflict happened. Like, I think how you answer that question says a lot about you. So the question back to you is, what do you assume? What are, what, how are you filling that blanket? My current headcanon is indeed some aspect of environmental collapse, whether that is just abuse of the world or nuclear war or pathogen or whatever else. Something, something that actually physically drove them underground due to, you know, the hubris of man. And then tying that into the rebellion, there were like locks set of where they'd go up and check at a certain point to verify whether it was safe. And 140 plus years ago, the locks deactivated. They went up and said, oh, everything's fine. But the powers that be in society decided to suppress and isolate and cut off that information. And that's the act of revolt. Because they were because they were in power with the silo structure and wanted to keep it. That is my assumption underlying this universe is the 140 years ago, the mission was fulfilled, but the powers that be decided to change the planning, change what the ultimate goals were. That okay. That's what I'm operating on. That also ties into my concept of the revolt of where I feel like the revolt was those people that were actually fulfilling the original mission of this place versus those that wish to maintain the power that they were now wielding in this place. And when, you know, Group B won that war, they had to eradicate anything along the lines and with respect to Group A's motivation so as to continue maintaining their sense of power. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, anything else you want to do in this segment before we uh, uh, the episode? Just, just a practical thing, but IT control in this kind of world, I like how insidious that is because it would need to be. Even with the 1980s level of whatever else technology associated with this, so the purposely archaic of its stylized kind of technology, uh, data information control would be, you'd, you'd be God. Whoever's controlling IT would control the world. And so I Pretty figure that that's going to factor into how Tim Robbins is a major character, that him being IT director, he's actually the one that's running the entire thing. And likely, um, if there is some level of information being hidden from the populace, which it seems like there is, right? We seem to have gotten that reveal. Then him restricting the flow of information would be an extremely important part of this power hierarchy. Like not, not just like he has control over the populace. It's he has a role in keeping the current regime propped up. Um, one of the last speculation thing. George being dead is interesting because I feel like his role wasn't really finished yet. Am I wrong in assuming then that he has some aspect of a relationship or connection with our engineer girl, given that she's the one that labeled it murder and someone needs to keep fulfilling his story and his role going forward? We've done some time jumps, haven't we? We have done some time jumps. We've jumped one, two, three, whatever else years. So I, I guess I guess what I would say is killing a character maybe doesn't in their story because we're jumping back and forth in time. Oh, we can jump back in this show too. Yeah, it, it, it starts right out in season. Five, I, I, so I would not ass- that much, not that much. Of I, w- I would assume so because I feel like the framing. The whole season is built around a lot of jumping, so you, you, you'll get a lot of this. Well, I feel like the framing device for the next episode or two is the sheriff talking to the deputy, and I feel like that that provides an opportunity for him to now reveal why. There's a lost year here that you emphasized of where we heard three years, but then we saw two years, and then we heard the sheriff talking to the deputy talking to the sheriff of, you know, you were walking for two years, and then suddenly you met this woman, and everything changed. I feel like they're now opening to okay, the sheriff's going to explain that year where he knows her and what happens. Yep, yeah, maybe maybe so. Maybe that's that's how we get there. And then um, he, and then he gets thrown out, and then we cut to three years in the future, two years in the future, and now it's the deputy finding his person, and it's you know forever and ever into the future. 
All right. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I like the first episode, man. I think I think it's got a good foundation for jumping off further. I'm curious to see. We have. It seems like both you and I have a lot of expectations, presumptions associated with the show, and I'll be curious to see whether it tries to subvert any of those or otherwise just fulfill them, and if so, in a successful way. Which either way, I could be satisfied with. The execution is ultimately what matters the most. I think the show knows that it's playing on a lot of existing tropes within the genre, mm-hmm. and they. I think that's. It, it's something that it acknowledges in how it presents the story. And that is part of the fun of it. I don't mind tropes. I like tropes quite a bit. I actually can get me more pissed off at something of when it's just needlessly subverting tropes in a way that doesn't make sense. The last Jedi, I'm looking at you. Um, how dare you? I'm here. I'm here to criticize. If, if it, if it operates in the tropes, but does so in a very successful manner with a, either, you know, unique little spin or just quality presentation, I'm going to love it regardless because the tropes are, the tropes are not bad. Tropes, tropes are well established for a reason. For a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Tropes are tropes for a reason. I like that. Yeah. Uh, I enjoyed the first episode. It certainly was enough for me to keep watching. I watched it week by week after about episode, maybe two or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting to talk to you a little bit about like where we stop certain episodes what I was thinking at the time and maybe get your thoughts on me. If you had to like, kind of like we did a severance, right? Well, it's like, if you had to wait for a week, how, how would you have reacted? Cause um, you know, there's a lot that goes on. We got another eight, eight or eight or nine episodes to go in the season. I look forward to talking with you about it. Thanks everybody for joining. If you are listening to this podcast on either the line of succession podcast feed or on the Lumen industries radio feed, please go over to the Breaking Down the Silo feed. That's the name of this podcast feed, Breaking Down the Silo. Go to Breaking Down the Silo, subscribe, and then you will get all of our reviews every week as they come up. We'll be reviewing this show week by week until we finish out season one. Looking forward to it, Spencer. I'll talk to you next week.